Link, what the heck are we doing? Where are we going? How will we get there, and when do we need to be there? Why can't we just solve things with a friendly bout of diplomacy? Who are we, even? We need answers. Your backlog, The Final Frontier. These are the voyages of the RPG Backtrack. It's continuing mission to explore games from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. To seek out forgotten games and neglected classics. To boldly discuss what you have not played before. RPG Backtrack, the longest-running podcast about your favorite RPGs of the past. Get ready for in-depth discussion of plots, characters, gameplay, and more from the staff of RPGamer.com. Here are the hosts of RPG Backtrack, Bill Willis and Mike Minky. And you have arrived. The train has pulled up to the station known as RPG Backtrack. This is number 200 Ford. Beak Rose Wild. I am a one of two co-hosts. My name is Bill Willis, and this is the one, the only, Mr. Mike Minky. I am here, yes indeed, and I have been playing bingo with the street denizens of this town all day. Yeah, that's actually what, can... the, what Link Goes Wild means. We're actually talking about that new RPG that's out, Bingo. Yeah, you, you can play it in your own town. How many people do you see sleeping in a doorway, or panhandling, or leaving extremely unappetizing presents on the sidewalk for people to find. Mark it off on your car. Play it yourself. Yeah, mark it off on your car. You get five in a row. You uh, defeat the big boss and you're a winner. I'm not sure what you win. We'll work that out later. The main point is that we're trying to get a lot of winners. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's not really weird than for beating any RPG. It's just the satisfaction of knowing that you did it. You have arrived. And speaking of arriving, we've got a couple of people to help us talk about a couple of Linky games, and hopefully we'll have more people later on. But right now, we have Mr. S- Mr. Mr. Marpenter. Oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank. Who's on the show today? <laughs> it's it's people, been like four people, months since I've been on. People are on the show. I'm not do this anymore. Are you about to sing the Barbara Streisand song, people? Okay, good. No, let's not go there. I was about to say which one people uh people and that other voice you hear so distinct so different from the rest of ours is and this is a gaily ryan hello what up how long have you been on the show now um it's been a couple of years now i think my first show was lunar 2 but this is the first show where i said your name right right yes yeah yeah finally i was about to to mention that you graduated 
Feel the power. You people have achieved. This is like an achievement. This is like an achievement for people on that track. Just have some new guys. No, it just, it just means that we've got enough new people that you can finally slaughter other people's names. Yeah, exactly. We have been a, on a bit of a, a hiring frenzy lately, so if you're a regular of our website, you're going to start seeing articles posted by a whole bunch of names that I will not be able to pronounce in the next three to five years. Although you may get plenty of practice at not pronouncing them. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see if they get to come on the show. But anytime, we're going to stick with some of our old regulars. And if we're really lucky, we'll get Mr. Apps on later on this evening. But we will have to see about that. We're going to be talking about a couple of Zelda games today. We got some uh, some a link between worlds and some discussion on Breath of the Wild. Uh, we got some uh, CRPG wrap-up stuff and uh, Kitchen Sink, Final Lap, and everything else. So we're going to ask you to hold on tight, give you some nice Zelda music here, and uh, we'll come back with our main event. series of game we jive and jump just jump into all the juicy juicy details and today we are going to talk about the legend of zelda link between worlds and then we're gonna talk hey, there's a game in there somewhere we're gonna talk about that too um anywho uh let's see this one was developed by nintendo published by nintendo released here in north america on november 22nd 2013 uh, this is a single-player action-adventure rpg experience for your nintendo 3ds system and and yeah, so let's talk about it because it's a good game from what everyone keeps telling me. I haven't had a chance to get to it, but everyone keeps telling me it's a good game. <laughs> it's an excellent game. It's a very good well, game. Okay, Phil, let me begin like this. Did you enjoy A Link to the Past? Yep. Oh my gosh, the mute button won't turn off. I was like trying to be polite because <laughs> I said it was going to sneeze and it just, no, but I said, yep. Well, A Link Between Worlds uses pretty much the same world map because oh. it's a sequel. So it's a ripoff. Is it a ripoff when it's the same company doing it? Hmm. I don't think so. They're ripping themselves off? Yeah, if you consider people who rip themselves off, then I guess, sure. But it it is not a carbon copy of A Link to the Past. It does a lot of new things, but it also uses pretty much the same world map so that you can instantly remember A Link to the Past and more or less know where you're going at all times. Hmm. Cool. So, all right, I guess we have to get the uh, the grand, juicy narrative out of the way, which is more substantive than that of A Link to the Past, but that's not saying a great deal. A Link to the Past had a narrative that took up, what, ten minutes of text at most? Yeah, you, you, the, all the stuff in Link to the Past is pretty much just like if you let the game play, or if you don't press start at the start screen. There's a there's more text than in the original Legend of Zelda, but again, that's not saying a great deal. Yeah. So, all right, A Link Between Worlds. You play as Link. Shocker. But you do, but you do not go to meet Princess Zelda at the beginning. Instead, you go to you are oversleeping, and you go to meet your the person to whom you are apprenticed at a blacksmith shop, where you have to go deliver a sword to somebody. And when you deliver that sword. Uh, it turned out to be a little harder than usual because the guy you are delivering it to, he gets turned into a painting by some crazy guy named Yuga. And Yuga announces his evil intentions. He's going to, what does he say? Something like, I'm going to make everything artistic. 
because he can turn people into paintings. And, well, you can't just let that go. You've got to go get the power to fight him, and you do fight him, and you kick his butt, and he deals with it by turning you into a painting. But Link has been given a wonderful artifact, so that when he is turned into a painting, he is not just a stationary two-dimensional object. He can move. He's a moving two-dimensional object. And there's our there's our major difference with A Link to the Past. You could not turn into a painting in Link to the Past, and you could not zoom around on a wall. And you can here, although it takes magic points. Or a magic meter, I suppose. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that when we talk about the gameplay. So you go to the three palaces that were in A Link to the Past's light world, getting, getting the three pendants required to unlock the Master Sword. Shocker. Allowing you to go to the to the castle where Yuga has been a nasty little man and put up a barrier that only the Master Sword can break open. Link gets in there. He takes care of business, beats up Yuga some more, and Yuga deals with it in a very mature fashion by having sort of a temper tantrum and turning Zelda into a painting, because of course there's a Princess Zelda, and escaping through a crack in the wall to low rule. You are no longer in high rule. You are in low rule, aka the dark world. It's similar, not quite identical, but similar. Yeah, there are dungeons in exactly the same places, although how you get to them is not the same. And there, and there are big cracks in the ground, forcing you to go back to high rule from time to time in order to find ways just to get around these gigantic craters that impede your progress. And in low rule, you meet Princess Hilda. Princess of Low Rule, who tasks you with going out and going to all seven dungeons in order to find the paintings of the seven sages who Yuga used to break the seal. Oh, and when he came over here, Yuga actually unlocked Ganon from A Link to the Past and fused with him so that you've got one weird-looking thing. Hilda keeps him captive in her castle so that you can go out and take care of business, get all the goodies, get all the paintings, and once you do that, you get to go into the center castle and take care of Yuga. But not before a shocking twist. Princess Hilda wants you to lose because she needs the Triforce in order to save Low Rule. And that doesn't work out very well. You beat up Yuga. Hilda is accepting, oh, it was, it was wrong what I was doing. Uh, I, low Rule can't take the Triforce from Hyrule. We're just going to suffer. Because she told you a sob story about Low Rule. It once had a Triforce, but people fought over it. So it was destroyed, and people fought. Shocker. But at the, in your nice, gen, gentle conclusion, Zelda and Link go back to Hyrule, and they just make a wish upon the completed Triforce for whatever they want. And, oh my goodness, could you guess what their wish involves? It involves making Low Rule a better place. Aww. So our happy ending. Yes, we do. The moment of the moment where the narrative actually could have gone somewhere kind of crazy. Imagine if an enemy in Zelda had interesting motivations and wasn't just pure evil. Nope, nope, forget that. But again, even though it has more plot than A Link to the Past, it does not have enough plot or enough substantive plot for people who play their games for the plot to come here. If you are playing this game solely for the plot. Uh, you're not going to get much. You're playing it to play it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a decent it's a decent story. I think it's a better story than some of the other modern Zelda games, but it, it's still kind of a very bare bones story to kind of put yourself into it. Yeah, it has a little more dialogue. Uh, the seven sages, actually, when you rescue each of them, they are someone you knew from Hyrule, although most of them that amounted to, hi, I talked to you for two lines. Remember me? Oh, remember me? I am the queen of the Zoras. You helped me once. Do you remember that? And Impa, the attendant of Zelda, do, do you remember me? We talked once. I let you into the castle. The only one who you've really interacted with is Irene, because Irene is a witch who was who heard a fortune that she needs to help somebody in green, and she has a broom which you can just summon whenever you want to get transported around the land, which is very, very handy, and she always says something when you summon her to do some transportation, so you probably spend a lot more time with Irene than anybody else. There's something to be said for brevity in a, in a game like Zelda, where it is much more about the, the uh, exploration and the combat the puzzle solving than, you know, getting bogged down in, like, Skyward Sword levels of uh, text. Yeah, we'll get into Minimalist Zelda later <laughs> in the show, but <laughs> for now, just this is proto-Minimalist Zelda. But, um, you, you forgot a major character that plays a huge part in this whole story, and that's Ravio. That's true. I wanted to bring him up as we got into the rental system because he's integral to it. Yeah. So, did, did, I mean, do we want to move on to gameplay? Well, I sure. guess we can mention Ravio is some guy who appears early on and offers you the chance to rent a whole bunch of items, which you want to do because they include such staples as bomb, bow and arrow, hook shot, you boomerang, things that you want, things that you'll yeah. need. Basically, your entire inventory in this game is given to you pretty much right from the get-go you uh, most of the stuff you get like throughout the story is like an upgraded it's upgrades to your existing stuff like your shield and upgrades to your sword and stuff but all the typical zelda items that you get via dungeons you have access to immediately and you pay, pay money to rent them and then later on you can pay money to buy them there are two exceptions yeah. One is the sand rod, which you can't get until the guy who rented it previously and has been trapped in a painting because he's a sage is freed by you. And because you need that to access one particular dungeon, well, you can't do that particular dungeon first. And yeah. the other thing you get is the upgrade to the Titan Mitt. I mean, yeah. without that, you can't pick up some of the big rocks, and that also blocks off some of your, of your progress. But those are really the only two things directly affecting what you can do. And if you want, you can go get those two first and just have free reign of low rule from there on. And, and as we were kind of talking about before we started recording, like this is not a particularly hard game. And when you rent one of the items, like you keep it until you die. Mm -hmm. So it's totally possible to rent it and just almost never die and just keep it the entire time. Yeah, I don't think I died a single time throughout my entire playthrough with this game. I came close a couple of times, but I would usually either back off or be saved by that convenient having a fairy in a bottle. Yeah, because I, I always keep at least one fairy in a bottle at all times just as a backup. It, it was just fantastic to have that kind of like open, uh, you know, that much more open sense that you could just go anywhere, do anything, do it in whatever order you wanted to do. 
Yeah, you know, it, it was really interesting because when I first heard about that, I honestly thought, well, how how are they going to make dungeons interesting? Because we've been kind of drip-fed this formula for, like, what, the past 20 years. You know, you go into a dungeon, get the item, use the item to, fight, to solve the puzzle, to beat the boss, etc. And I was really surprised and amazed at how unique each of the dungeons were despite having the... Um, Items available to, available to you immediately. Now, the dungeons oftentimes are similar in con- very similar in concept to their counterparts in Link to the Past. Yeah. But they are not carbon copies. You do not do exactly the same thing. You do a few times, just to keep you guessing. But that ability to turn into a painting and move around a wall, you will use that a lot. Oh, yes. That was oh, such and- a cool ability. <laughs> And you just reminded me, that's the other thing, too, about this game that's interesting, is that you don't have ammo or anything like that. All of your items are done via your magic meter. And if you use your magic meter up entirely, you can't do anything for a couple of seconds until it replenishes, but it replenishes pretty quickly. And I'm pretty sure you get a double magic meter almost the same way. That's in, what is it? Uh, I think it's in Turtle Rock. Okay. I couldn't remember if you got it the same way via the bat that says that they're reducing your magic by half. No, it's not. It's in a dungeon. Okay. But yeah, not having to farm for arrows and bombs was great. Because you you could just go, you know, you could pick, pick whichever item you wanted and just go crazy. And particularly when you're going into places where the developers were expecting you to have to use a lot of magic, you'll often find convenient little bushes or skulls that contain magic refills. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to spend 10 seconds waiting. Uh, and all of that stuff just made the, made the game just fun to play. And then if that wasn't enough, you um, you can upgrade all of the items too by finding Mimes, which are little squids that get that are stuck throughout all of the world. And when you find 10 of them, you, you go taking them to the My My Mama, and she'll upgrade an item for you. And I actually got it. I got all 100 of them. I, I did too. Um, it, even the world map shows like which areas of the game of the map you're missing, which which is great. I wish they would have that for the freaking heart containers. And once you get all 100, uh, there are only nine items you can rent from Rabio. So once all of them are upgraded, which are, is often a good thing, you will probably like your fire rod that shoots this massive gut torrent of flame that goes across an entire screen before it go, flashes out, or the, the boomerang and hood shot that actually do damage in addition to just stunning things. Mm-hmm. But once you get all 100, then she Mother Maya gives you a new sword ability, where, you know, this, this is the standard Zelda thing. You hold down the attack button, and you let out the spinning slash. Well, now, the spinning slash covers almost the entire screen. So that's a pretty damn good means of clearing out enemies if you need it. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a screen nuke. Oh, my favorite my favorite thing about Mother My My was the song that plays when you go to her little lair and as you find more My Mys, you notice that the um song kind of fills out more with different parts. I didn't I don't notice know if it, that. Yeah, I I did, just because every time, I love that song so much that every time I would go there, I'd just have to kind of crank up the volume on my DS and listen to it. And I noticed that the more my minds you found it, like, the the more of them were singing with it, and it just was a nice little touch. And also, when you find a my mind, they squeak along with the Zelda da-da-da-da, which is also a cute little touch. Um, The piece of music that 
And I also noticed that every dungeon actually has unique music, which mm-hmm. Link to the Past did not. Not all of them are as memorable, but all of them were at least good atmospheric music. And I really like the tune that plays when you are going for the the dark dungeon in Dark World, where you have to actually go through a stealth section. There are these freaking these guys that are just evil, and they've got cones of sight. And if they spot you, they'll throw you in prison. And you can't fight them; you have to maneuver around them. Was that the dungeon that was pitch black? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I remember being very frustrated by that dungeon. Just well, I was I was trying to play it in um, a spot where there was like fluorescent lighting, so I couldn't see it very well, and yeah. ended up ended up having to kind of give up and wait until I got home. <laughs> I don't blame you at all. That I ended up having to use the lantern as one of my items, which the lantern isn't good for much except lighting, so you don't usually want it at this point in the game, but mm-hmm. a little light around you beats fumbling around and bumping into everything. Yeah. yeah. And of course, there are a couple of spots where you are you need to remember the last few bits of platform or else you're going to fall off. And of course, you can only see them when you've turned the lights off again. And I'm pretty sure that that one also had like a hidden piece of ore in it to upgrade your either your sword or your shield too i dan i just played this thing and i can't remember there were a couple of dungeons that did have pieces of ore and there was at least one i found in the world yeah and and those and those pieces of ore are pretty well hidden too i mean if you if you're paying attention you can find them but you're not going to accidentally stumble upon them the map and compass is very helpful because it spells out there are chests in these rooms of the dungeon of the dungeon. Look for them. Yeah. And they show that even if the chest has some condition that needs to be met, you kill everything, you hit a switch, you do whatever. It still shows that there is a chest which you can access if only you know how to do it. But I want to say that although this game will probably not work for people who want an incredible challenge at every step. The freedom to go everywhere and is really nice, and I had to think a few times, but never did I feel like it was ridiculously obtuse. I was able to figure it out after a little while if I spent some time with pretty much anything. I think there was only two spots in the whole game that I got very frustrated with. Um, one of them, well, actually both of them had to do with heart containers, because one of them was trying to get the, the damn baseball heart container. I gave which- up. I played that thing about about 30 times, and I could still never quite get it because, you know, I even looked at instructions for that thing. Um, apparently there's a trick to it. With the, it, it I watched a YouTube video that kind of showed that the different baseballs have a pattern where it's like high, low, something, and then you can hit the bird. But, um, yeah, I don't blame you because I nearly gave up on that one, too. But there is a, it, it is doable. You just have to kind of be patient and know what you're doing. And then the other bit that I got frustrated was just kind of a me thing. I found all the heart containers but one and was tearing my hair out trying to find where the last one was because I hadn't re- really been following a guide too closely until the very end. And it was like literally going to every single place that I could think of in the guide to find the last heart container and I just could not find it. And it didn't help that with, you know, I'm, I'm, 
I've played Link to the Past so much that I kept thinking about where they are in Link to the Past, and not everything is the same. I mean, some of it's kind of similar. Like you've got that one bit in the graveyard where you dash the uh, grave, and you can find stuff. But I don't think it has the same item in it. No, if you go into the grave in in Low Rule, that's actually the key to getting a piece of ore, which is hidden in a cave nearby. But yeah. And I also know that there's some really tricky bits with um, seeing a crack somewhere and then trying to figure out how to get to the crack so that you could, you know, get to another place or get to the same place in the other world. I ran into that quite a bit. And yet this this is also very convenient in that it shows you where all of the cracks are on the map after you've entered them. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, aside from going into individual dungeons, which that's some of the bosses in here are similar in look to, and feel to the ones in Link to the Past, particularly the one in the Water Palace. Remember the the big jellyfish with all the little ones that you have to pull away with the hookshot. Oh yeah. But in Skull Forest, instead of whatever it was, the moth in Link to the Past, now it's a giant version of that stupid freaking glove that always hovers over you, and if it grabs you, it takes you back to the entrance. Oh no. Yeah, I remember that. And now I hated you, that thing. And now you have to fight it, which is actually kind of fun because it involves planting yourself on the wall right as it's charging. So it slams into the wall, knocks itself out for a second, and then you get to beat on it for a little while. I remember that battle. That one was fun. <laughs> there was a lot of like really good I mean, this was a rare 3DS game that actually made good use of the 3D effects. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of verticality to the, the dungeons and the the level design that was really cool. Yeah, we haven't really mentioned this, that, yeah, you can go on a wall, but there are us- walls, amazingly enough, don't have exactly one level of height. They have multiple. And often you, you'll be puzzling around, dang it, I can only get to the lower level of the wall. I want to get to the next level. How do I do that? Maybe I need to go there. And again, because all of the tools are available to you from the start, you know that you have the ability to solve it. It's just a matter of thinking it through. And I, I oftentimes found myself stumped in puzzles just because I was I forgot that I could stick to walls using the uh, painting mechanic. When I first went into Turtle Rock, I was clueless as to what to do until I realized that I can use the ice rod to freeze those teeter-totters so that they don't automatically fall down again every time I get to the edge. Oh, yes, and once you have the sand rod, you can get a few of the the Mayamais that were buried in sand and you did not have the ability to reach before. Oh, yes, because that, that drove me crazy because the Mayamai is cheap when you're near one. And you'll hear them long before you can get them. Oh, yeah, and and that sound will drive you up the wall. Uh, oh, yes. And there are bees in this game, and you can make them your friends. I get to be friends with bees? You do. And instead of attacking you, the bees will hit enemies. And they're actually not very good. They they hit really weakly. But, you know, that's better than having the bee bother you. Because there's some crazy guy in Kakariko Town who is dressed as a bee and worships bees. And once you bring him a bee in a bottle, he decides... I shall reward you by giving you this amazing item that makes bees your friend instead of foe. Well, speaking of crazy guys, I found myself a Michael Apps. Hello, Hello. Michael. 
Hello. Whoa. And he sounds like a bee. He's a Michael Apps that sounds like a bee. So, Mr. Apps, I'm, I'm sure yes. you have. I'm sure you're the differing voice. You absolutely hated Link Between Worlds, right? That's physically impossible. Oh my gosh, Apps, you really do sound like a bee. Like, try a different <laughs> microphone or something. You're buzzing. Uh, um... And this, boys and girls, is what we call quality podcasting. As we troubleshoot <laughs> our podcast while recording it, and we don't bother I, to go back and edit it. I don't know. We're doing it live. <laughs> doing it live. I'm going to put a little note here. Maybe I'll remember to take out minute 26. But, you uh, are hearing our technical difficulties live, even though they won't be live by the time you listen to this. That's what makes us genuine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you fix it yet, apps? I don't. I, I, no, nope, still no, buzzy. Really weird. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally buzzy. Okay. Any better? Take two. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay, wow. that's random and weird. What did you do? I'm plugging Absolutely Rupert? nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you tried the classic stratagem of turning it off and on again. You may miss how much that works. So, Mr. Apps, did you figure out the damn baseball game? The baseball game? The mini game where you have to hit the the pots and it's key to getting a heart piece. Probably not because I don't even remember that. Okay. <laughs> it's the hardest heart piece in the whole game. Yeah, it involves being very careful and thinking about where you're, you know, where the ball is and trying to hit the pots. And you can hit the batter too, which is kind of fun, but then he just spits another ball right at you. Uh, yeah, that sounds like something I looked at and I was like, nope, don't need that heart container. See, that that drives me crazy because I have to have all the heart containers in every Zelda game. Uh, I've never much cared for that. (laughs) But that does sound very annoying. Oh, and we didn't talk about, what what is it, the Tower of Terror, the Tournament of Terror? Remember that place up on Death Mountain? I don't remember that. Well, that one's also key to getting a piece of heart, although you only have to beat the intermediate, but... I have read that if you go through the advanced level, which takes you through 50 levels of enemies, you get an upgraded lamp. I don't know what the upgrade is, because that's a lot of enemies to just go through, and none of them drop hearts. You have to survive. Ooh. Speaking of insurmountable challenges, did anybody ever manage to beat a Street Pass Link? Yes. Whoa. It, it seemed like every time I got a Street Pass link, it was just, like, leveled to hell and back and would just hand my ass to me. Uh, I mean, that's usually what happened, but I, I think there were a few I ended up with that I was able to beat. I, I think I beat one, but it was back at the very beginning when the game launched. I didn't even try because Street Pass just doesn't get much around here, and <laughs> I'd rather not sit around waiting for something to not happen. Yeah, I think I got all my street passes for that at a PAX, and then, you know, that was pretty much my only chance, so it was those links, and that was about it, so. See, yeah, the I... only time I, oh, yeah, the only time I ever got street passes in my old town was, like, the the rare times I took it to a McDonald's. See, I could always get a couple at McDonald's. I could always at least get a couple at Barnes & Noble, and for some reason... There had to have been a guy at Home Depot that had a DS because every time I would get one, and it was always the same person. It's weird who you know in your small town via Street Pass. <laughs> a great feature that just didn't work very well in the uh, spread out America. No. And I don't see it ever being made to work that well in 
a spread out country like this, unless the Wi-Fi gets much, much more sensitive, maybe. If it can pick up people from 20 miles away, that might be what it takes. So, Mr. So Apps, do you, do you remember the stealth section of Link Between Worlds? Vaguely? Okay. It's been, a, it's been a long time for me for that game. Okay, I feel better now, because it has been like five and a half years, and I'm kind yeah. of in the same yeah, boat. I, I didn't realize until you guys pointed it out that it had been that long. I, I honestly felt like I had just played it. I know. I thought it was much closer than that until I started trying to remember and then looked at the date. And you're like, oh, that's why I don't remember very much. <laughs> and that's that's why it's so fresh in my head, because I did just play it. If you asked me in a month, most of this fresh memory would be gone. There's a thing with Zelda where it doesn't have, like, a really deep narrative, but, you know, like, the gameplay and the discovery is so much fun. Like, for whatever reason, that stuff doesn't, you know, I have that fond memory of playing it, but the the, the actual details don't stick with me as much as some other games do. Well, part of it is that it's too, it's too much like Link to the Past, so it kind of melts together with Link to the Past. Yeah. In my head. See, I'll be the outlier on that. I never, I still have never played Link to the Past. You what? I never owned a Super Nintendo when I was growing up. <laughs> there, there's never, like you, ten you different versions of it. To get the, yeah, the port there. There's like ten actually, different versions. Yeah, actually, the last that. time I was trying to put my Wii U. Down. Oh my gosh, it's so horrible! It's blanking out the podcast. He went offline for a second. Look! 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 Uh, there's like there's there's like you could you could play it on there. You could buy it. I, I think you can buy it for the 3D. I got it on my yeah. 3DS. Yeah. Yeah, I need to get it on 3DS. Yes. You know, or or I mean, this is so desperate. Even if you have to do, you know, that thing we don't talk about, find a way. <gasps> you, you mean that country that has giant birds in it? I believe it's called an emu nation. Yeah, that nation, that nation that we don't talk about. You know, yeah. if you have with to the go emus. there with emus, if you need the to go to emus, my boss thinks is what emo people are. She calls them emus instead of emos. Yeah, if you need to go to the nation of emu to make this happen, my friend, make it happen. There's, it's there's on the list. It's on the list. <laughs> Which is appropriate, well, Josh. You you at least know that it won't take you very long. That's yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah, we are not I just got I just got frustrated the last time when I got like halfway through it and the Wii U just quit working. Well, that's understandable. You know, that'll happen. Yeah. But you know, it, it's funny we're talking about emos because boy, both Hilda and the the um this version or low rules version of Link has very beautiful yet emo black hair. <laughs> and and Princess Hilda is very pale. Yes. It's basically goth Link and Zelda. Well, she's very pale because it's low rule. Ah, ha, ha, ha. And, and, you know, talking about Dark Link, did you guys figure out that Rovio was Dark Link? No, no I don't think so. No. I, I had forgotten who he was until the revelation at the end. Oh, my goodness. He wasn't in, in favor of what Princess Hilda wanted to do. And he... Dealt with that by renting and selling gear to Link? Okay. Yeah, sure, that checks out. Yeah. He could have definitely been less helpful. That was that was a pretty darn useful thing to do, Ravio. I'm not sure why you had to wear the rabbit mask. That looked weird. Maybe he's he a was capitalist ashamed. good guy. Gotta make some profit while he's helping you out. Well, this is a game that has a four-digit rupee limit for a reason. You You use rupees a lot in this game but you also collect rupees a lot. 
I don't remember any other. Wait, my. I haven't played any more other recent Zelda games, but I don't. Do they usually come with 100 and 300 rupee treasure chests? I think um, well, the Twilight Princess did, because that one you could get up to 9,999 rupees. And that was also one of the ones where money was kind of a huge deal, because you had that armor that lets you. Um, th- that uh, t- took rupees instead of your hearts. So. I'm pretty sure that that one also had a p- pretty astronomical rupee limit, but other than that, um, the only other ones I can think of are like the multiplayer ones. Well, I remember the original Legend of Zelda had 255. Yeah. <laughs> because if you went to 256, then it would skip over to zero again. That's very helpful. And Link to the Past had 999. Anyway, you, you gotta buy, you gotta rent your stuff, and you gotta buy it. You've got to throw lots of rupees all over the place in order to get one of the bottles. What does it take? 3,200 rupees tossed in the fountain this time? I think that's oh, it. yeah. I forgot that it took that much. I, I do know that this was one of the few, few Zelda games where I had to go find a place to grind rupees. You don't really need to spend much time on it, though, because especially in low roll, a lot of enemies just drop a red rupee for 20 every time you kill them. Yeah, there's one spot... Um... I, I think in one of the ice palaces that has a bunch of skulls that spawn that you can get quite of quite a few rupees in one go. Where I ended up grinding out the rest of the rupees, to, I think to get that last bottle. Actually, I'm sure that you could have gotten it just by you know just uh, playing through the game too. I think I was trying to go for it early, which is why I found myself grind, grinding out rupees. Probably. Oh, and one thing I forgot to mention about the gameplay, this is the first, I think one of the first Zelda games I played that, like, actually had save points that you had to contend with. I forgot about that. It's like the little bird statues, right? Yeah, the bird statues. Were you, the weather that were also the or whatever? Fast, yeah, that were also, like, the fast travel points. Oh, yeah. oh, you have reminded me of the thing that we haven't talked about, which is very, very annoying about this game. This is back when that when Nintendo felt as if you had to be reminded, hey, you've been playing for a long time. Don't you want to take a break right now? Oh, you yeah. quit your game? <laughs> like, Nintendo, well, don't you I, take I, a break? Come on. I have my thing in sleep mode all the time. I don't I haven't been playing for eighty hours straight. That's what I wish you could tell them. You can't. You you're gonna get that message every time. I know. You it's so frustrating. Thank you, Nintendo. I has anyone actually seen if this helps kids at all? I think that's who it's supposed to aid, kids. I don't like. I would have listened to that. I would have listened to my parents first. Well, Nintendo was clearly of the opinion that it needed to be a nanny to all of the children using its software because their parents weren't doing the job. <laughs> Who knows, you know, enough people have died in internet cafes in China and stuff that maybe they felt like they needed to help. Those are internet cafes, though. It's harder to stay that long on your 3DS than just planted at a table playing probably WoW for for 75 hours without (laughs) taking in any fluid and eventually expiring because... You've ignored all the signs that your body needs additional sustenance. No, must construct additional pylons. <laughs> That's what's important. I, 
the only way you could play Link Between Worlds for 75 hours would be, uh, okay, you unlock hero mode if you beat it, and I guess then you could try and do one of those challenge runs where you don't get any heart containers, you deliberately get as little as possible, and then you just have bragging rights. Yeah, I beat it when I was this week, because I'm that good. That seems to be what challenge runs are about. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. Okay. And that that GameFAQs thread that I linked in... Somebody mentioned in there that once hero mode is unlocked, oh man, it got a lot more fun because suddenly I wasn't I wasn't action, just bored all the time and I felt like I could die at any moment and that's what I needed. So, Good on you. I prefer baby mode. So, Mr. Apps. Yes. Did you think the game was too easy? Uh, no. Okay. That thread I linked, one of the primary reasons that somebody called this, what did he call it? This is the worst 2D Zelda game. Perhaps just flat out worst Zelda. Um, there's three CDI games. (laughs) (laughs) No one remember that? Those are two. No, no people don't. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Does the CDI even have an emulator? I don't think it does. God, I hope not. <laughs> Thus, you know, there's there's people that collect for the end gauge, so I'm not surprised by anything anymore. Don't people have hyperscan collections? Yes. All five of the hyperscan games. So, yes, we know that... Well, I think even the hyperscan might have an emulator. I really don't know. I've never I mean, looked. I mean, the people complaining this game is too easy probably have played... Um, Link to the Past a billion times, but I yeah. mean, it's it's got a hard mode after you beat the game if you really want it. But I don't think it needs to be that difficult. It's it was a really fun game. Yeah, challenge and fun are not synonymous, right? Yeah, you can have a hard game that's fun. You can have a hard game that's not fun. I, I mean, have have these people played? Um, uh, Link to the past recently because if you played it more than a few times, it's really easy. <laughs> and I don't hear many people complaining about that. No, no one does. You don't need to have some games, but you don't need to have Link Between Worlds be incredibly brutal and kick your butt every five minutes so that you know to play it. Uh, what like like a survival horror where every step could mean death. <laughs> That I suppose some people like to play it that way. More power to you, but I don't want to play it that way. No, difficult. <laughs> if if you haven't seen the people complaining about Sekiro, difficulty games seems to be a hot button and subject these days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I I personally I I play lots of my games in baby mode, but that's also because I don't really have a lot of time for gaming. So when I sit down to play for my two hours a night, I kind of want progress and don't want to beat my head up against a wall and i don't mind an easy game every once in a while again challenge and fun not synonymous right and and like we said there's a hard mode you unlock after you beat the game once and i mean to be honest for me personally that's the way i'd want it because i with a game like link to the past 
and I'm sorry, Link Between Worlds, I kind of want it to be a little easier the first time through to get a handle for where everything is and whatnot and before I try the harder mode. Um, and, I, and is it terrible to say that Zelda is a game that is kind of targeted at like a pretty broad audience of people? You know, it's not just a game for adults. It's a game for little kids. I mean, yeah, I, right. it's, it's one of the first games I would played when I was a little kid was you, the first you, Zelda, you know? You look at the sales numbers and they're all pretty massive, so... Yeah. Satoru Iwata was very much alive when this game came out. I believe this fulfills his statement, games should be fun for everyone. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of the quote-unquote difficulty in the first Zelda game was more trying to figure out what you needed to <laughs> do and where you needed to go yeah, versus would, the actual gameplay. And I would call it artificial difficulty. <laughs> yeah. And the, with the open-endedness of this game, it kind of invokes that feeling, and it's basically a test run for the next major game in this series, which we're going to mm-hmm. talk about soonish. I don't know that we have any other major things to say about Link Between Worlds, except that all four of us who have played it here have pretty much nothing but positives except for yeah. Nintendo's nanny clock. Yeah. At the, at the risk of... At the risk of making this sound like a certain other podcast, um, uh, getting a little topical here, uh, I, I totally agree um, with uh, earlier sentiments there by Miss Kelly. That yeah, I, I you know I'm the same kind of guy. I got like an hour or two to play every night, and to spend an hour on you know a hardcore game that only lets you save at certain points that are very far apart, and your life is on the line, and you waste the whole night when you die right before the end is is not my definition of fun it's usually my definition of a broken television yes um, as the result of my controller flying through the air so <laughs> um yep but yeah yeah I, well I that's have... because you're not hardcore enough phil not hardcore i need to get good uh so no, you need to get good yeah get good <laughs> uh yeah yeah well uh unfortunately I, I i own this game have not had a chance to even touch it that's why i've been super super quiet on it but i will go ahead and do a quick price check for you, you can pick this bad boy up pretty cheaply i mean I, I see one used copy here on amazon for 12 bucks i see a brand well, new whoa. shrink wrap in Man. the box for Nineteen ninety and, and well, uh, twenty four bucks. I'm sorry, I'm looking at the wrong thing. Twenty four bucks. Ninten- Nintendo did that rare nice thing and re released this as yes. one of those Nintendo classics. Nintendo classic. Get yeah. yours today. So twenty bucks. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Is so it it's worth twenty bucks? bucks? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, if That's it was still going for forty dollars, I would say it's still worth it. Yeah. If it was rare and going for sixty dollars. Honestly, I'd say it's probably better than a lot of games you'd pay $60 for right now. So, And it totally well, leads... A lot of... $60 will get you a brand new game right now. Uh, let's see, what is it? Mortal Kombat 11? Is it better than Mortal Kombat 11? I would uh, probably I say haven't, so. I haven't played it, but yes. And you know what? <laughs> for that money you would spend on Mortal Kombat 11, you have enough money left over to go ahead and pre-order your copy of Persona Q2. Grab it today. Um, and, and I'll say as as, a, as the weird, one weirdo who hasn't played Link to the Past, like even for someone who hasn't played Link to the Past, Link Between Worlds was just fantastic. Okay, we don't know. All right, so <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna take we're gonna take a break uh, and uh, come back with the second half of our main event. So hold on tight.
This is the second half of our main event, and the second game on our list that we're talking about today is The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Uh, This was developed by Nintendo, published by the same, released here on March 3rd, well, wait a minute, was it 20, yeah, March 3rd, 2017 was the original Wii U release? Yep. Yes. Okay, all right. And then uh, later on, we got the, the Switch for... Because it wasn't simultaneous. It was later on, we got yeah, the Switch, Yeah, it, right? it was simultaneous. It was simultaneous. It was? Okay. Yep. There you go. All right, so March 3rd, 2017 for both of them. Uh, this is a single-player action RPG experience, which has to be good, right? Because I bought it for the Wii U just to have to turn around and buy it for the Switch. Yeah, So I've I... paid for it twice. Oops. Well, it, it was hilarious. <laughs> thank you for that. I'm sure they do. Yeah. So does my friend who I gave a copy to, so somebody's a winner here. Yeah, I ended up double dipping because I bought it the day that it came out for the Wii U because I wasn't going to get a Switch right away. And then not two months later, my husband got me a Switch for my birthday and um, Breath of the Wild because it was like the only game worth a crap out for it at the time. And it was like, well, I guess I'm playing through this again for a while because I ended up beating it on the Wii U and then... (laughs) <laughs> funnily enough um when the dlc came out i kind of forgot that which version i had played and ended up buying the dlc on the switch version even though i had finished the game on the wii u version whoops so yeah <laughs> that was messed up yeah i had the same problem you, you you remember in the last segment how i mentioned how the wii u dying kind of uh ruined one playthrough yeah the oh, wii, no. my wii u kicking oh, the bucket no. Yeah, I was at the very end of uh, Breath of the Wild. I had just finished like the fourth uh, Divine Beast when it it, it sadly passed away. (laughs) So I've never finished Breath of the Wild. I ended up picking it up on Switch, but I haven't made it all the way through. Pour one out for you. That that would have made me just not want to pick up, touch the game ever again. That was tough. (laughs) That's part of the reason I haven't made that much progress on the Switch for Okay, well, who wants to start off by talking about the super deep story here? I can. Yeah. So, you as Link wake up uh, with no idea what's going on at the end. It's a JRPG protagonist who's got amnesia. Get out! Get out! I mean, I think there's a little more to it than that. Oh, yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah, so, a hundred years prior to the game's start, uh, well, probably... The events probably start a little more than 100 years before, but basically at least 100 years in the past, uh, the people in Hyrule discover like a bunch of ancient robots and figure out that, oh, hey, this Ganon thing is going to come back, and we should probably prepare for that. So they like unearth four giant robots uh, to the races in Hyrule, pick a champion to control these robots, and everyone's preparing. Um and it kind of all goes to to crap. Uh, so Princess, the Princess Zelda in this game, um, is not able to activate her. What are they called? Sealing powers? Something like that. Something, yeah. Uh, and when Ganon comes back, he kind of takes over those the sacred beasts, those machines, and Link is mortally wounded. And of course, as soon as that happens, that's when she's able to activate her powers finally. Good timing. But After anyway, everyone's dead. <laughs> yes. So uh, Link gets put in some sort of regeneration chamber, and Zelda goes off and I 
Kies pretty much puts her and Ganon in stasis. And so you kind of wake up to a high roll that is kind of a mess. Um, I'd say the people are kind of living in relative peace, although there's certainly lots of rogue Ganon-controlled robots and monsters roaming about. But, you know, the kingdom, the kingdom of Hyrule itself is pretty much destroyed. And you kind of have to go off and explore and figure out what happened. And obviously, as happens in many Zelda games, eventually defeat Ganon. And the, the world is so barren that I honestly think there's only one major settlement in the entire game, and that's Kakrika Village. Yeah, yeah, pretty much it's just small villages. And I mean, you can see that, you, like I said, there's ruins of Hyrule you can wander through, and they're pretty expansive. So you can kind of get a feeling of how much was lost. And honestly, a lot of a lot of the game is kind of about that. I'm, so, I'm sorry, I'm mistaken. There's only like two human settlements, and then the rest of them are the Gorons, the Rito, bird people, and the Gerudo. Oh, and yeah. the um, fish people, the Zoras. Yeah. Zoras, yeah. So a lot of the story kind of takes place with you visiting various areas. Uh, some of the races that live a lot longer, there's people there that will actually recognize you. And obviously, like, humans and stuff will not. But, you know, eventually you meet kind of like the new champions for each each of the different races who will help you kind of recapture these divine beasts to take on Ganon. Although, spoiler, you don't actually have to recapture any of them to beat the game. Which is one of the interesting parts about this game. But uh, sticking to story here, uh, really the interesting part about this game is there's not really... there's It presents you with a way with like you can kind of a linear path to get to the end of the game if you so choose, but you can just kind of wander off and discover things on your own and figure out exactly what happened. I think literally after you finish the tutorial, a quest crops up in your quest log that's defeat Ganon. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Aren't there people on YouTube who try to do this on a speed run and are able to beat the game within what forty five minutes? Like, yeah. You know exactly what you're doing. I think it's less than that, actually. But, yeah. So, And the interesting part about that is, for those speedruns, so each, obviously each of these divine beasts I just talked about has a boss at the end of it, and any that you do not, any of the divine beasts that you do not complete, that boss will show up in Hyrule Castle. So, if you do that speedrun, you actually have to beat four bosses before you fight Ganon, and you have to fight Ganon at least full strength. See, I did not so, know that because I always beat the Divine Peace. Yep. Yeah, I obviously I have not done it myself just from watching the videos. Yeah, you have to fight all those bosses. So uh, speed running this game, not for the faint of heart, but <laughs> yeah. Well, speed, speed running in general is not for the faint of heart. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Well, and that's the thing that kills me about this game is that how much you get out of it is directly proportional to how much you put into it. Because, uh, this... I, I mean, well, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, if you follow that direct linear path and that's all you're really looking for and you don't really want to do like a huge open world game, I'd say you're still getting a pretty full experience of the game. And I, I think most people, even following that, are probably going to end up wandering off and exploring different things <clears throat> because... Um, well, the game main, encourages you to. It encourages you to, and I can't see why anyone wouldn't want to because, yeah. my God. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's a huge yeah. game. It's something. 
Yeah. All the we, we yeah we didn't even talk about like I don't know how much this you know, we're melding gameplay and story, but like you know the as you're going along right right at the very beginning you're out on this plateau and one of the first things you do is unlock the tower and that unlocks yep. all these towers all over the land and they those become your fast travel points and uh you have to like climb up them and some of them have um you, you, one of the uh, big things in the game is that there's like a stamina meter and then climbing uh-huh. becomes a big big deal so some of them are kind of like done in such a way that you can't quite climb up them yet you have to upgrade your stamina meter or use uh, uh other items to be able to do that kind of stuff it, it, it's like really open but really interesting how they you know worked all these different mechanics together well i i kind of liked how the game starts out because you you wake up in the shrine and you start running around outside and you kind of see a dude there and he's by a campfire and you go and you talk to him and he t- tells you to follow him and i think what at that point you go you go to do you go to your first shrine or do you go to the tower i think you go to the tower first you go to the yeah. tower yeah the the, the tower just kind of rises up above you and the old man is like, okay, you see these four shrines there? Go to all four of these shrines, and I'll give you this glider on my back. And you go to all four of the shrines, and in each shrine, you pick up a different tool. Um, one of them is a magnet that lets you pick up metal things. One of them is your bombs, which are remotely de- detonated now instead of just, uh, you know, set down, walk away, and fire. Oh, let's see what else you the um the thing that stops time you mm-hmm. get and I'm blanking on the other one. Oh, the, the ice pillars. The, I no, I talked about the magnet. Okay. Yeah, the ice yeah. pillars. I think that's all the all four of the items. Yeah, and, and they're all they're all controlled using your Sheikah slate. The uh, yes. the the obvious thing that they were well they 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 kind of twisted it back around to look like the switch, but it was very obviously in, initially intended to be the Wii U slate like you're using. Yes. And, uh, yeah, and you get all four of those items, and you see the king, and he's like, okay, here's your glider. Um, you can fly off this plateau now, and he kind of recommends that you go to Kakariko first, but you don't have to. And that's pretty, that's pretty much your tutorial. It doesn't hold your hand at all. Um, all all four of the shrines, you just get the item, and you you pretty much just kind of, encourage you to figure out how to use the item on your own and the the puzzle kind of encourages you that way but it doesn't doesn't tell you anything other than what it does and after that you're pretty much left on your own and i i really appreciate that this unlike the one before it which was skyward sword it's a, the game does not hold your hand at all this is the anti skyward sword where yes. it was tutorials and holding your hand for like 15 or 20 hours and this one is like get out of the way and just let you go. And um, th- those four items are pretty much the only tools you'll get, only major tools that you'll get, and you, all of your puzzles are solved via those tools. Mm-hmm. Now, along the way, you find weapons like swords, um, mallets, bows. So you can you can find a boomerang or two, that sort of thing. But the big thing about this game is that your weapons break. Ugh. And I was not fond of that. <laughs> oh, oh, where do it's I fine. start with this no, one? Oh my goodness gracious! There are so many weapons in this game. Yeah, but the whole never point. Never going to be short of weapons. I'm not. You know what? That's not the complaint. 
The complaint is it takes me out of the fight because I yes. have to go and swap out the weapons. There's this convoluted set of buttons to try to do it on the fly. Compare that to Horizon Zero Dawn where it's, it's not, not unusual. Not a it I is. Have, I'm actually it playing is. the game right now. I have to have like claw hand. Claw hand. Move the control stick. Select new weapon. Done. Or you have to go into a menu, which pulls you out. Like, compare it to Horizon Zero Dawn. Zero Dawn, you run out of ammunition, which is similar to weapon breaking. You have to switch to another... It's a completely different game. But the combat is get in there and fight, right? It's an action... It's a third-person action game, right? And when you run out of arrows, you just hit a button, it slows down, and you switch on the fly, or you craft them on the fly. it slows down time. It's great. It doesn't take me out of the action. I don't have to go into a separate menu or flipping around. You move a control and stick. And it happens finger is already way on and you're too done. often. It takes like two seconds. Too often. Wow, too talk often. about what the fur fly. <laughs> as, as anyone can tell, this is the most divisive point of the entire game. You either are not bothered by the system and pull through it, or you're going to freaking hate it. Because not only do your weapons break, but you have limited inventory space. Yeah. And it's... The game is designed around it. It doesn't mean it's fun. It is. I, that's <laughs> fine, but the game would not. <laughs> My kitchen's resolved around me cooking. Doesn't mean I actually enjoy it as a as something fun to do. <laughs> it's a necessity. I don't know. What it's to well designed. You know? the, the problem the I had with perfectly the, designed. The, the problem I had with it is that it's only an issue at the very beginning of the game because as you get deeper into the game, you get really good weapons that don't break very much and you get the master sword that you know even when it does break it you know comes back after a certain amount of time and uh-huh. so it's just it's just this hurdle at the very beginning of the game that's breaking up the combat and it, it, it just but, didn't seem like there was a really good point to it here, here's the thing and this is where the game very very clearly differs from say Horizon Zero Dawn this game is not an RPG let me stress that again. This game is not an RPG. Oh you my gosh, we're to... not going to start this you... argument. What's an no, RPG? It's, it's, very, it's very important to get to this point. Oh my gosh. Don't... Except for Ganon, you literally do not have to fight anything in this game. Is that what None makes an RPG? Whether or not you have to fight? Wait, wait, wait. You said that if you do a speed run and you don't take out any of those four divine beasts, then you have to fight them before you get to cannon, right? Okay, that's true. All right, all right. Just just clarifying. Right, right. See, to me, it plays more like an RPG in the sense of Monster Hunter because your stats aren't you. Your stats are your items and what you put into your items because not, not only do you have weapon durability and limited inventory, but um, you have extent, armor. Sure. I mean, and I'm like a fan of Western RPGs uh, that, that, that you basically, in a lot of Western RPGs, you are telling your own story. It's mm-hmm. not that there's this big drawn out story for you, but but some Western RPGs are very much like here's an open world. Yeah, there's a boss down the road, but you go and figure it out. You've got different ways. It's your character. It's your story. There's not a story already pre written for you, and that's been some of the that's some of the most fun games that are out there, in my opinion. I have no problem necessarily with whether or not it's technically an RPG. I guess you could you know complain about, but. I just, I, as far as the gameplay goes, yeah, well, constantly pro- having to manage my is- weapon inventory and and deal with that mechanic was was right. definitely not my slice of the, bread. The thing you're comparing it to is a fundamentally different game. 
I'm just simply saying. I'm just simply. All I'm simply. I'm not saying it isn't. I'm simply saying that when it came to how switching things out on the fly it was is handled in a combat situation, that simple change that Horizon has over was was a I huge deal breaker you, for if me. I timed both of them; they would be exactly the same. But it just it kept me pulled in instead of being a, a detraction. And again, it's subjective, so you can't argue with me on it. It's just my opinion. I'm just saying that's, for me, that's fine. Well, you're saying you're saying it's taking you out of the combat, and I'm telling you it it's not. It, it, it like in Horizon Zero Dawn, the slowdown mechanic with the wheel, the spinning wheel, with the with the thing, whatever have you, it just felt so natural. The action's still going on around you. It's slowed down, but it's still happening. It, it it just it it was just the right mix of get to where I need to be really really quick. Whereas the other one, I'm scrolling through left and right trying to find that weapon either in real time where everything's still going full speed, which really isn't ideal because a damn freaking weapon would break it all the time, which would put me into very uncomfortable situations very frequently. And or I got to hit the pause button, which takes me completely out of the experience, which you can do in Horizon Zero Dawn, but I never did it. I mean, and in fact, that kind of saves you time in combat, but I never did it because it pulls me out of the fight. Again, it's just just my I opinion. Wonder, and, and it's hilarious because I, I'm the exact opposite to where I kind of liked it um, pausing everything to pull me out of the fight so that it could give me a chance to sit down and breathe yeah, and think, I, okay, my weapon's about ready to break. Do I switch to my bow and try to get some distance and try to pop one? Or should I just switch to this hammer and start wailing on him? And I I appreciated that little bit of a breather when I was switching ones. And and I've wondered with this game, with that, I've wondered if the original intent with this being a Wii U game was that your item was was going to be right there on your tablet on the second screen, and then you're just going to be able to tap and swap between things on the fly much easier than... You know the menu system that they had Could to be, uh, implement with the switch. I think oh, that, I, I, th- I think that would be more cumbersome, to be honest. I honestly I, think that a lot of gameplay got hacked up when they decided to port this over to the switch because that that GPU or that GPS map looked like it was meant to be on that second screen. With mm-hmm. The way you zoom in on it and and all the photos and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Wii U. We missed <sighs> you. Well, and, and and that does bring up, you know, this kind of segues into, you know, speaking of things that kind of are a huge change from our evolution or whatever you want to call it from other games in the series. This game definitely makes a marked turn towards feeling more like a survival game because there are other mm-hmm. survival type mechanics, the cold and the hot, for example. Who wants to talk about some of that stuff? Yeah, uh, you, you have, um, well, you have our different sets of armor that you could wear. And depending on what kind of armor you have, you get certain buffs like, um, well, you can get armor that let, that gives you resistance to cold or fire, and that's the only way that you can go to certain areas in the game. Like, the entire northwest part of the map is a ice-cold, snowy area, and if you try to go there without being properly equipped or, you know, crafting together a potion... Lots to, of hot pepper-based food. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, your, your Link is going to freeze to death. And a nice little touch is that when he goes to a hot area or a cold area, he, you know, sits, stands there and shivers and acts cold or kind of hunches over sweating when he's hot. And it, it, it's a neat little touch, but yeah, you've, you've got to pay attention to your armor sets or you could be screwed that way. Um and you're given multiple ways to approach a problem like that. Like you could equip an armor set or you could do a potion. Um, the game gives you a lot of options to solve issues. 
And that's one thing that I really appreciate about it is that you are not shoehorned into anything in this game. No. Um, you know, you guys are talking about how uh, obviously the combat is divisive because you two were arguing about it. But one uh, of the nice decisive for some people, but <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a uh, nearly universally beloved game, so I yeah. would argue that point. But one well, of, one of well, the you know what? You know what? Baldur's Gate. Baldur's Gate is a universally acclaimed game, but it's not because of the combat system. I will put that out there. Just because the game is universally loved doesn't mean its combat system is the bomb. I'm just saying it's not as divisive as suggested. Hey, go look up at the Reddit threads. It's it's a little divisive. Just a little bit. I'm just saying. Indicative of anything. It's a little divisive. Guys, here's the thing though. Like one of the first armor sets you can get is the Sheikah set that gives you a bonus to your stealth. So if you don't, if you're tired of breaking your weapons and you don't want to fight, or you want to fight a little bit, a little bit smarter, you can get that stealth set and sneak up behind everything and kill, get easy kills and easy items. Mm, flawless yeah. victory. Or, or if you're more of a brute force person, you could also get the plate armor set, mm-hmm. which uh, which gives you you know a, a defense bonus so that you can kind of tank the hits a little bit more, and you could choose the fight that way. Of course, uh, if you, if it starts raining and lightning out, you're kind of screwed with that particular <laughs> armor set. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I would be like, "Oh crap, it's raining." Oh. Do I have anything in here that's made of wood or whatever? Like, <laughs> nope. I better nope out of here. Or, you know, like, eh, I can take it. And then next thing you know, I'm zapped. And Yeah, that, that did, it, it did stink when you were trying to climb a mountain and then it just started raining. And you're like, well, okay, do I quit doing this or do I just sit here for a few minutes and wait for it to pass? I, I guess I'm not climbing this mountain today. Yeah. But you're given so many options. Like, you know, right away you learn from the shrines that you could either pick between – once you get four shrine orbs, you can pick between a heart container or a stamina container. And your first instinct is to do heart containers. But then you you realize that if you have more stamina, then you can get around a lot more and you can find more stuff. And – Typically, what I try to do is every four, I try to swap um, one heart container or one stamina container. But the the other cool thing is that you later on run into a dark witch that for a rupee fee, you can um, exchange stamina for heart, heart containers or vice versa, which is really nice if you're going into a boss fight. And also, if you really are intent on complaining about the combat system, you can get lots of hearts and get the master system and then stop complaining. You mean the master sword? The master sword. What do they say? Master system. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that Sonic trailer has Sega on my brain. Oh, we'll talk about that in the final half. Well, the other other thing I would say about the combat, like, it's... I don't hate it, but it's not my favorite in terms of Zelda combat. I mean, and much more so than even the breakable weapons. It's just like the camera control is not as as great and as fluid as it is in other Zelda games. And just even the responsiveness of your attacks and your dodges, it just doesn't feel quite as crisp as like uh, Wind Waker or some of the other 3D Zelda games. Yeah, it, I, I hate to say it, it feels a little bit more Dark Souls-y than Zelda-y. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think part of the problem is, uh, talking like Wind Waker, there's a lot less you can do in combat in a lot of those oh, games. Yeah. And so, yeah, 
it can be a little clunky at times, but but uh, it, it's also one of those things to where once you master it, you feel so powerful. Like I remember the first time I managed to take on a Lionel without dying. <laughs> the, the Lionels are probably yeah. the, most, the most powerful non-boss monster in the whole game. And you can't, you can't get a stealth kill on them. I've, I've tried, even with Majora's Mask. If you try to sneak up on them, they'll just, like, slam you. And they're monsters that are quick and can charge you. And if you try to get too far away to try to take pot shots at them, then they breathe fire at you. So you've got to be up on your game to take on one of those bad boys. But once you actually bring one down... Oh, it feels so satisfying. And, you know, once you start getting its parts, next thing you know, you're getting its parts to upgrade your armor to, like, really badass armor. And you're getting its weapons, which you could use to fight other Lionels, which are, like, some of the best not-Master Sword weapons in the game. And, oh my god, I just, I love being being strong enough to be able to fight them things. I don't know why you mentioning that made me remember this, but do you remember, like... One of the things you can do in the game is, like, capture horses, and then you can mm. bring them back to the uh, stable to kind of, like, register them so you can always use them. And then mm-hmm. there was this meme thing going along where people were trying to find different things they could ride and bring it back. Remember mm-hmm. people, like, riding bears to the uh, – somehow capturing bears and riding them to the stable, and the mm-hmm. stable guy going, like, what the heck is that thing? No, you can't re- – get get that thing out of here. Which is a shame. You should be able to stable your bear. Um, there's even a shrine that makes you go capture one of those uh, stags that's running around and bring it over to the shrine to unlock it Mm -hmm. which is kind of a neat touch and you know talking about the lionels I say that those are difficult do you guys remember your first encounter with an ancient Hmm. I I think that's what that's called those big machines with the laser eyes oh yeah oh yeah 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 those Yeah, I remember getting just slaughtered the first time I I fought one, and then, like, oh, yeah, I still remember that first time I actually took one down, you know, cut off its legs and managed to managed to kill it. Yeah, that was really cool. Well, the cool yeah. thing about those is you can run you run into some of them that are, like, in various states of disrepair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty cool. And the first oh, that, area of the game, though, was... Which yeah. area was it? There was one area where there were just, like, like there had been a battle, and there were just tons of them strewn about, you know, half dead, and then every yeah. once in a while you walk past one, and it just wakes up and starts attacking you? I, I think it's, like, that huge field right outside of Hyrule Castle. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of areas like that the closer you get to Hyrule Castle. Because that's where I would go to farm them. Because yeah. um, you know, and then I, another nice thing about this game is if you can kind of overcome a lot of these odds if you know what you're doing, um, you can deflect their lasers with any shield in the game. And you, um, like the disrepaired ones, you, um, you can get a one shot kill on the ones that are perfectly intact. It takes three deflects in order to take them down so if your timing is good and you know what you're doing you can take one of those down like right away with just a pot lid or you could be like me and completely f up the timing and end up getting a laser right in the face and (laughs) dying but it feels so good to deflect that laser and kill those bastards (laughs) oh i guess the one other controversial thing we haven't talked about is like the lack of dungeons because that was the big 
thing that pissed people off was that you know there weren't really Who dungeons in the in the traditional sense. Instead, they just had the shrines everywhere, kind of like mini dungeons, which I thought was fantastic. Like I thought it broke. I thought it broke up the gameplay really well, where it's like, okay, I spend like 20, 30 minutes exploring, and then I find yeah. a little shrine, and I do well, a little puzzle, and then I move on, and I explore some more, and I, I find I think a shrine. More than just the shrines, and this is something that they kind of experimented with in um, Skyward Sword, is the world is the dungeon, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Like, traversing your way around the world is basically replacing a normal dungeon. There's lots of different... Uh, difficulties and um monsters and other uh trouble you can get into and it's just like it's you can't easily just get from point a to point b it's is um a lot of things you have to figure out how to get around so uh, the world is fav- its own dungeon essentially my favorite things my two favorite things about the shrines is one they're your fast travel points so there there's so many of them in the game that literally once you start unlocking them you can find them everywhere and pretty much access the entire world map very easily and two my favorite thing about the shrines is that Except for the combat ones, no two shrines are exactly alike. There's always, like, they're always themed around one central puzzle that you have to solve. Like, the the one that's sticking out in my mind that was kind of what I thought was one of the most clever ones was the one where you've got to carry an ice cube throughout the entire dungeon. And in the meantime, there's various bits of fire uh going all around the place and you've got to figure out how to manage this ice cube through the fire that you know is melting the whole if you get anywhere near it it's melting the whole time and you gotta you gotta puzzle your way through it and the great thing about the shrines is that there is no one way to solve a puzzle if you can get to the end Mm -hmm. you you've technically cleared the shrine I don't know if you guys have seen some of the crazy YouTube videos with people just doing just just breaking the physics engine completely in order in order to get through some of the shrines. But there's all kinds of things, not even just that, just like people skipping the lost woods by launching themselves on a log. Yeah. <laughs> and different stuff like that. I love it though. Uh, I, I'm, yeah. I like that the shrines definitely tickled your brain cells, except for the combat ones, which, oh boy, if you get into a major test of combat for very early on in the game, you, you're going to nope out. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, it's definitely, and we, we touched upon this before, but I mean, this is definitely a tougher Zelda game, and if you wander into one of the areas where you, you know, like you, like you said, you can go anywhere you want to, but if you wander into some areas, like enemies will start one one hit killing you. <laughs> oh, very early on, I think either on the plateau or after you get off of the plateau, you can wander into an area that has one of those rock monsters that crops up out of the ground. And you know, even then, you can easy you can take it out easily with if you just dodge it and uh, get to its weak point on its back. But you know, at the time, you don't know that you're just seeing this rock monster come up, but you're like, "Holy crap! That thing is way too big." And there's a lot of different areas in the game like that that have what what could be considered mini boss monsters. Like there's those rock ones, and then the Hanoxes with the um, eye with the one eye. Mm-hmm. 
But, you know, talking about the multifaceted approach to things, those Henoxes, you have, like, several different ways that you could take those out. Like, I mean, obviously, its eye is its weak point, but I figured I, I had a fire sword, and I figured out very early on that if you burn its shorts, then, um, well, it's trying to put out its shorts, you could easily take pot shots at its eye, <laughs> which is kind of a neat touch. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, yeah. I mean, what else have we not? Um, the expanding your inventory with the Korok seeds. Yeah, um, yes. which are everywhere. I thought, what, what was there? Nine hundred ninety-nine of them, or something? Yeah, yeah, but I think you only need like half of them to completely max out your inventory. Yeah, I, and, I think I think somebody actually got them all, and like the game kind of makes fun of you. If you yeah, get something like that. Like, like what are you doing? The thing I like about the Korok seeds is that they're spread out far enough that um. I mean, you and you're kind of encouraged to experiment a little bit with them because I, I remember um, in uh, Kakariko Village, there's a spot where there's a whole bunch of apples in, uh, where is it, in like bowls. And every, every bowl but one has an apple in it. So I'm thinking, okay, well, what happens if I put an apple in the bowl? Oh, look, a Korok. Or you, you run into the world and you see like a circle of stones and there's one stone mi- missing. So you put the stone where it would be missing. Oh, look, a Korok. And pretty much every Korok puzzle is like that where you, you just notice stuff that's kind of out of place in the world. And if you ex- experiment with it, you're basically rewarded with the Korok seeds. And that kind of helps helps expand the world and give you a little bit more reason to kind of keep pay attention to your surroundings. The the one other thing I don't think we've talked about is, and I can't remember if it's been in other Zelda games, but certainly it's a plays a huge role here is cooking. Yes, like talking about item management, like where you really do need to make potions. Like we like we said, there you can make potions that and and meals that can increase your heart level above like the maximum number of hearts that you actually have at that moment. Mm-hmm. And same thing with the uh, the stamina meter. So you can like really uh, so you can get to different places or you can move your hearts way up if you're going to go into a boss battle. But uh, the only problem I had with that was just like there's no like journal to keep track of your uh, of the recipes for all that stuff. That that was very that was uh, kind of a major annoyance. Yeah. And and there's also no way to like, okay, I want to make like six of these potions. Like, no, you have to do every single one individually. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of frustrating too. But I I did like how it it very much encouraged experimentation. Like, oh, let's do some some meat, some veggies, and some spices and see what happens. I I like the encouraging experimentation. It just would have been nice if Link would have written down what they were. Yeah. You know, you so think, I didn't have to go to the internet, you know. You think, you think the Sheikah Slate would have a notepad? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, your Sheikah Slate is out of memory. You're going to just have to write it down. And it's planned Sheikah Slate obsolescence. Obviously, Link didn't pay for that app. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, okay there's another thing to talk about the Sheikah slate and taking photos of stuff I, I I honestly thought that would be boring and stupid but I like that if you take a photo of an item then later on you can set it to your Sheikah slate to track that item and anytime you're near a place with that item it starts beeping and you can go find it 
Yeah, that is pretty handy. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but when I found heart radishes, that was literally the first thing that I did was uh, keep that on my radar. <laughs> and I always tried to keep a bunch of those on hand. That way, if I was in an area that I knew that I was just going to have trouble with, I'd c- cook up some uh, cook up some heart food and get, get my hearts maxed out. Um, stamina stuff was really good to keep handy, too. Mm-hmm. This is an interesting game and just how much... I don't know that I can think of another Zelda game that shows so much influence from other modern games on its sleeve. I mean, you know, like you you see the Assassin's Creed influence here. You've got the the giant towers that you have to climb. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's Dark Souls influence. There's a lot of different games that, you know, while you're playing this, you can see just... And it's not something I really think about in Zelda. I think of Zelda being almost, you know, very much stuck following its own formula and being very self-referential. And this one is very different and very, you know, like. Well, it's almost like they've been watching all the open world games that have been coming out and wanted to do their own take on it. And yeah. I, th- I think in a lot of ways they really showed up the competition. Like uh, if we can, if we talk about the technical aspects of the game for a minute, there's very little loading time. The draw distance seems really, really good. Like that first moment when you walk out of the cave and just see like the immense immenseness of the world, I think is just like an incredible moment. And, you know, it's it's just for for a genre that's you know, people often are like, Oh, it's an open world game, we'll just you know, you forgive the bugs. It was incredibly low on major bugs when it first launched. And I just... I'm going to chalk that up to be, being Nintendo. Nintendo tends to put more effort into squelching bug stuff than most other companies, I think. Sure. But, I mean, for a game that runs on the, a last-gen system, pretty much, I think just how good the game looks and how impressive it is on a technical level, just not even talking about the bugs for a second, it's just it's kind of astounding. I will admit, I do kind of feel like because the world is so huge, that bits of it can feel just a little bit on the empty side because everything is so spread out. And granted, you can kind of help with that empty feeling a little bit by, you know, getting a horse or getting fast travel or whatnot. But that that is kind of one dog that I have against the game. It's it's like. This is going to sound like a first yeah. world problem. It almost feels like the world is a little bit too big and they probably could have shut <laughs> it down just a yeah. tad. Yeah. Um, and honestly, that's always been my complaint on nearly every open world game is just like too much empty space. And yeah. I think, I think this game, honestly, is the one I had that complaint the, le- complaint the least surprisingly. Oh, I, I know. And I mean, it, it's a beautiful world and you, it, you can tell that it's a crafted world, that it isn't just procedurally generated right. because of all the vistas and all the, you know, climbing to, trying to see the highest point on the map that you can get to and just looking down on the world and trying to, see, you know, being able to see all of the shrines and marking them on your map so that you can actually go to them, which I think is the one of the best parts about this open world is um, being able to see that stuff from a high point. Yeah, I just I, I do think that it could have benefited just from a little bit of a smaller world just to kind of help help bring it bring it in a little bit and so that you're not just wandering around aimlessly. But that, that's a very small complaint. Yeah. yeah. I think it would have helped, like, it, 
certainly the the game kind of felt like it was lacking in enemy variety too. Yeah. Yeah. For such a big world, you're you're mm-hmm. fighting a lot of the same things over again. Though uh, I will say, being able to screw with those enemies is so funny. Yeah, and there's some pretty cool enemies you can like optional enemies and fight like uh, some dragons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which are just wandering around the world and randomly seeing one of those flying around is pretty cool. Oh, that that blew my mind! Like, holy yeah. crap, is that a dragon? Oh, you can actually go find it and fight it and trying to you know, fight those things because you do have to get their scales for certain upgrades. Um, you're pretty much having a stakeout. Yeah. Yeah. You can do a lot of stuff. Like if you see, um, uh, you know, like three or four of those enemies, like bunched up together, like sometimes you can roll a giant rock down on them and kill a couple mm-hmm. of them before you <laughs> take them out. If there is, if they're in a skull and if you're good with the arrows, you can, uh, oftentimes hit a rope inside skull eye and that drops a lantern which is usually almost always over some bomb barrels and it'll cause some pretty awesome chaos or you know you'll have a bunch of bokoblins just running out of the thing and um wanting to kill you because you just blew up their camp but it it, the first time i did that that was pretty funny (laughs) yeah i think one of my favorite things to do combat wise in the game was just sneak up on a camp and just start rolling bombs down. <laughs> <laughs> and the the enemy AI is pretty interesting too, because like if a bokoblin on top of a watchtower sees you, mm-hmm. then they're calling everything else after you. Oh yeah. Or if if you whiff on an arrow and they see it, they'll freak out. And play the game in master mode uh, it gets even more intense. Oh, I'm, I'm not good enough for that. the harder version of the monsters. Yeah, it's. Uh, when I say the game, you can avoid most combat. That is the mode where combat is your last resort. Oh, let, let me ask you guys this: Did, did any of you take advantage of uh, paid offline DLC, aka Amiibos? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I um I kept a bucket of all of my Zelda Amiibos by by the game or by my. Con- couch and every time every time i log in it's like okay just sit there take each one out of the bucket scan it put it on yeah. the couch when i'm done get, you can get some pretty cool gear yes um i i kind of pisses me off that one of the best features of the game is to walk behind an amiibo and that's having wolf link as your companion yeah that's yeah <laughs> Because he is definitely helpful for hunting. Not so much when you're trying to stealth kill stuff, but when you're like hunting meat or stuff, he's he's invaluable because he'll chase after foxes and boars and stuff like that. But unfortunately, if he dies too many times, he's pretty much gone for the rest of the day. Yeah. Oh man, what else have we not talked about? It there's so much. To this a lot game. to talk about. Yeah. Um. I I have to Did admit, you guys I... do the mazes. Um, yeah. Yes, because them, I, wanted, yeah. Yeah. I wanted the barbarian armor. Those were pretty cool. The, the trying to find a YouTube video that could actually like help me navigate through the maze was kind of <laughs> at the time was kind of a pain. Yeah. Um, the, how did you guys are... like the armor upgrade system? Um, I don't really remember because I kind of got the barbarian armor, and that's just what uh, I rolled until the end of the game. Yeah. I kind of. 
had different things for different situations. Like I really liked the Sheikah Sheikah armor because it was really nice being able to just not get into run around and not get into fights. Yeah, uh, like stealth kill stuff, and it's also really nice for hunt, hunting down meat and fish and stuff. Um, though once I got the barbarian armor and got that upgraded, that was pretty nice too, especially for fighting lionels. Some some of those requirements for like the level four armor can be kind of a pain, though. Um, did you guys do the town building side quest? No, no. Huh, that's interesting. Um. Yeah, there, there's a side quest in the game where some I think the I think it's after you buy the house, um, the carpenter that built the house for you kind of wants to start his own little town, and you have to go to, to like each major settlement in the game and recruit somebody. And I think on like the northeast side of the map, that's where they have their little town, and you can get some pretty decent art. I I think that's where you can get some of the armor and weapons that. You can't find anywhere else in the game. I'm I'm blanking on exactly what that stuff was, but um, that was a neat little side quest, and the, it um, ends with a wedding, which was kind of cute. Um, one of the few things that I kind of didn't do in this game mainly because I just didn't see a point was the um, side quests. Yeah, I don't remember doing very many. I I did a couple of them, like any of them that opened a shrine. I did. Yeah. Um, I didn't really do a lot of the fetch quests because they, they, the game didn't really do a good job of telling you where you needed to go to do that stuff. And, you know, be, being a WoW player I'm or an MMO player, I'm lazy, and I just want the map to tell me <laughs> where to go. So may, that maybe that's more of a me problem, but I'm just lazy like that. Um, though I will say that side quest did have one of my favorite characters in the game, which was Cass, the parrot that... Um, right around with an accordion. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he, his side quests are interesting because I think if you do all of his quests, um, you can go back to the Rito town, and you have to do a quest where you have to find each one of his daughters. And I think that they sing a song that's like from one of the original Zelda games. I never, unfortunately, I never did that though because one of the side quests involved a blood moon, which I were waiting around for a blood moon, which I did not feel like doing. But supposedly, that's a really neat side quest to do if you're an old school Zelda fan. Uh, it's maybe it's that quest line, but there's some side there's some side quest where you can go and it gives you some more background about the past and how um, you find out that like. Uh, Zelda was in love with Link, which mm-hmm. is something that's not really revealed in the main storyline. Huh. It kind of kind of gives you a little bit more context about uh, what happened at the end. Yeah. Years ago. Oh, and we we didn't even talk about the memories that you have to go unlock. Oh yeah, uh, that's how you get the the secret best ending. Yeah, See, I didn't get that one. I know I didn't. Well, I didn't finish it. So. Uh. <laughs> I don't even know what was different in the ending. I, I tried to see if there was, or try, I tried to see what kind of reward you got for doing that. And once I didn't see that there was a tangible one, I didn't bother with it. I think it's minimally, like the ending is minim- minimally different. Ah, uh, no. but I feel like we're missing something else. Um, I have to admit 
I didn't really care too much for the Divine Beast dungeons, mostly because I, oh, I kind of saved them for those. last. I love those. I, I, I saved All them for them. last, and I thought that there were going to be more zelda you know, more traditional zelda like really long dungeons. And because I kind of had that expectation, I was disappointed. Okay, I could see that, but they're more like just expanded shrines. Yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. if I would have treated them like that, I would have enjoyed them a little yeah. bit more. But I really loved the, the design of those. Like, they're basically giant puzzles. Yeah, I, and plus, I think the first one I tried to do was the elephant, which I had <laughs> trouble trying to well, figure out. Yeah, figure that's out a tough that one, one, and... I, for some reason, that's the one they try and point you to first. Yeah. Which I think is a mistake. But yeah, that one is pretty tough. I was actually I was actually just playing that while we were recording and having trouble remembering how to get to the puzzle. So how to yeah, move the water around that he's shooting yeah. out of his trunk? Yeah, it's tough. I think the other ones are a little bit easier. Well, yeah, I maybe think actually the bird one. I think I had more trouble with, but I, th- I didn't have any trouble with the bird one. The elephant one I had trouble with and I think the camel one there was like something that I just was not getting I think the camel one if I remember correctly my trouble with it was like didn't you have to like shoot the legs to get into it or something like that with arrows I think I had trouble doing that uh, and um, talking about the Divine Beast, one of my favorite things about uh, fi- going to each Divine Beast was that you get a little bit of story into Wink's past and how he had interacted with the four champions. And, you know, it was kind of cl- clear that the um, Zora champion kind of had a crush on him. And oh, never really, yeah. yeah. Never really got to tell him. Um Ravio the Rito was kind of a jerk to him and felt like he should have been the champion. He was kind uh, of a jerk even after afterwards. Yeah. He just a, yeah. generally uh, a jerk. The Gerudo one had a really special relationship with a Princess Zelda, which I thought was kind of neat. And I don't remember what the Goron one was. So I, I do remember that like the Goron the descendant of the champion there was kind of a coward and you had to basically escort him or help him get into a cannon by fighting off stuff and that side thing was kind of a pain. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did like those the the you know, seeing each the past of each uh champion and, you know, what their descendants did, which was kinda cool. Yeah, for for a game that really the story is kind of not exactly the focus, I thought it, the story was actually really good. Like I cared about the characters and learning about you know the, the champions who are now dead is kind of heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And really, it's the story is kind of has like a whole sad tone to it. But yeah, mm-hmm. you beat Ganon, you beat Ganon in the end, but kind of a lot of the game is about how much was lost in the yeah, process. I- I mean, people say that Twilight Princess is a dark Zelda. I honestly think this one was darker than Twilight Princess. Twilight Princess is kind of forcing it a bit, I would say. In this game, it's more natural. It's like you're not even, when you're playing it, you're not even thinking it's a dark game. But kind of hits you as the deeper you get into the story and, you know, exploring the ruins of Hyrule and kind of realizing, you know, and you know seeing the memories of what the kingdom was like before ganon arrived yeah it's kind of dark yeah running into some areas where you could tell that there was a town there and the entire thing is just obliterated yeah 
and like talking to the ghosts, the champions. Yeah, it's sad. I almost wish. I know it's tradition and everything, but I almost wish that uh, Link actually talked in this game because I think it'd mm-hmm. be kind of interesting to have more interaction with those characters. But yeah, for... because this is the first Zelda with voice acting, and yeah, Link doesn't get to talk. <laughs> I did think it was neat during the cutscene, the memory that you find where um, Link is being guided, that they make a reference to swords in the sky and waking the wind. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of subtle references to past games and not-so-subtle references. Yeah, there's stuff on the map that references the old games. Uh, Oh, yeah. I can't can't remember a lot of it off the top of my head. The only one that sticks out in my mind was... um, uh, Mount Satoru because it was, I think the game came out like right after Iwata died. Yeah. And that's an interesting mountain because that has a lot of apple trees on it, and that's one of my favorite places to go farm lumber and apples. Okay. Uh, what else? I feel like there's uh, and one more thing we haven't talked about, and I'm blanking. Fighting Ganon? Yes, f- fighting Ganon. Um, uh, Hyrule Castle is kind of your final dungeon, and, you know, my first time through, I just kind of blew through it, and I didn't realize that there was a lot more stuff in that castle than I thought there was. Yeah, it's kind of a packed area, and, you know, like we said, you can speed run to the end, so there's a lot you can miss. Mm-hmm. And especially if you don't have your volume up, because uh, if I, I don't... I, if I remember correctly, the music you hear in there is some sort of classic. Hmm. Yeah, there is not a lot of music in this game. No, I think that's by design. I, I, I like it like that, yeah, to be honest. I, I love it. The only music I really remember is hearing the plinking of a piano when a ancient, I, I think it's an ancient, the, yeah. the, the giant robot things with the laser eyes, hearing that, you know, just gives me PTSD when I hear it. <laughs> but and I think when there is music, it's it's really when you need it, like fighting against a boss mm-hmm. or some difficult combat or different story moments. Yeah, um, it, it, hearing the music when you fight stuff really kind of ramps up the tension. Yeah, which I, I appreciate. I appreciate incidental music like that. It makes the, it makes everything feel more real and like you're not just playing a cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I really love this kind of exploring. It's mostly environmental sounds. That kind of just um, so yeah, uh, it, it's a really good game. I I don't know if I would call it the most approachable Zelda game, though. I would call it the best Zelda and the most essential Zelda to play. I will throw that out there. I I would recommend it, but I wouldn't recommend it be people's first Zelda. Uh, I guess that's fair, but. Um, it kind of depends where people are coming from. Like, if yeah. this is someone, if it's someone that's already played a lot of open world games, then probably be right up their alley. Yeah, that's true. It's just so, it's it's not representative of the of the series as a whole, no. unless they make more like it. Which I don't even know how they could follow up with this one. To be honest, I I think mixing more of old and new would be the way to go. Like maybe make a smaller open world with some of the classic dungeons. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe obviously. do maybe do one in the style of Zelda two and do it better. That let's not talk about Zelda two. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said do it better. Okay, well that would you agree be very that that's hard. not difficult? Hey, if they could well, do a two D Zelda Metroidvania, like by the Metroid team, that I'd be for that. 
I mean, you got the Adventure Time uh, Ice King game, which is a better Zelda 2, so it's that. But, well, we uh, know that any Metroidvania will have to come from the Metroid team because uh, Konami doesn't make games anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think they can make another game strictly like this. Like, I think this is, like I said, it's obviously an experimental game trying to do some new things with the series. And, you know, like, just like um, the the first game we talked about, Link Between Worlds, which kind of throws away the you get an item in a dungeon and then you solve puzzles with that item in that dungeon concept. I think they can take a lot of what they've learned from this game and Link Between Worlds and kind of bring them back and make more of those classic dungeons with a lot of the things they've learned here. Like, yes, don't get just get rid of the stupid concept of you get an item in a dungeon and then the puzzles in that dungeon are based on that item that played out it's done and you don't really need it just like See, i don't, I don't necessarily no. agree I, I if if nintendo had a direct tomorrow and they said hey we're doing a new zelda and we're gonna go back to the, the to the ocarina format i would be okay with it just because i wasn't really bothered by that but i could also go the other way too that if they came said hey we're doing breath of the wild 2 with uh and we're gonna make it better than breath of the wild i'd be okay with that too sure uh, but but that—that's me. I—I I like, you know, I like figuring out the puzzle of the traditional Zelda, find the item in the dungeon stuff. I mean, they can still do that. You can find the item. Just don't. Uh, there's just more they can do with it. I think they kind of listen. I love Zelda. I—I I, I don't think other than Zelda two, there's a game I dislike in the series. But you're, you're talking series... about the ones developed by Nintendo, right? Yes. Not those yes. on that machine that we mentioned earlier. Yes, we'll, we'll not speak of those. Um, as much as I love the series, it needed a shakeup, and it needed to kind of not re, not necessarily reinvent itself, but kind of rediscover what the series is capable of. And I think these two games did a brilliant job of doing that. Like, mm-hmm. uh, Link Between Worlds in a classic structure does so many new things that you may not even realize it's doing it. Like, it's it gives you that nostalgic world to explore, but it's really shaking up kind of the classic way they design dungeons. And I think Breath of the Wild is kind of realizing that, hey, we've had all these big Zelda games with really, really boring, awful overworlds that serve uh-huh. no purpose. What can we do with that overworld? And, you know, obviously the whole series doesn't need to have this giant, ridiculously oversized overworld like this that is essentially the main dungeon of the game but you know they can take a lot of what they've learned here and i think make something even more incredible than this which i think is one of the finest games i've ever played so Uh, and you know to be honest i think that's exactly what they're gonna do yeah i'm really i'm really excited for whatever they do next because i i mean we could there's lots of things you could obviously nitpick and argue about but from a technical perspective and from just a perspective of taking this series into the future, it's never been more exciting for me to be a Zelda fan because, you know, as much as I love getting that new game every you know, three years, it's kind of comfortable. I, I, I think there's just so much that they can do with the series now. Hey, as long as we don't get another Triforce Heroes. Well, <laughs> yeah. 
That was probably something that they probably oh, shouldn't be trying with the series. I kind of forgot about that game. <laughs> yeah. I forgot that existed. I was, I was on board with that game until they said you're only going to be able to play it with three people. And I was like, okay, well, that's just a way to screw every couple in existence that, you know, can't find a third wheel, you know, unless they're like oh, some... Oh, man. Weird. You know what we didn't talk about tonight? Hyrule Warriors. Why didn't we talk about that? Well, I mean, that, um, the finest Muso game ever oh. crafted. Totally Probably. something Mike and I agree on. Yes. Uh, Probably they, because we need to have a whole episode devoted yeah, to Muso, not Muso. Muso, not Muso. I think there are some uh, Dragon Quest builder. No, not Dragon Quest builders. Dragon Quest heroes that also fall into this. And uh, Hyrule Warriors? Yeah. No, not Hyrule Warriors. I'm sorry. Fire Emblem Warriors. Yeah. And if we wait two years, we'll have a Persona game, too. Huh. <laughs> you'll, you'll never see it coming. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I was so, like, everyone's, like, so disappointed. I'm like, yes, yes! I, I was, <laughs> like... I think I you're like, more excited about Hyrule Warriors than you are about Breath of the Wild, Phil. Oh, yeah. I oh. mean, you know, talk about two contrasts. I mean, I've made two attempts at Breath of the Wild. Aside from the sword thing, uh, you know, I just, it's the slipping off of mountains when it starts. For, it's just, you say they're nitpicks, and you're right. They are nitpicks. It's a beautiful game. It's an awesome game. I certainly don't mean to paint this picture like, you know, it's it's not everything but awesome sauce. Um, no game well, is it's, perfect. It's my monologue. I let you all talk. Okay. Let okay. me talk. Okay, I will I'm wait. Just, I will I'm wait. just going to say my piece here. It, I will say that be, the little things, the, the not having a cooking menu, and those are all little nit. Absolutely. Again, they're nitpicky things. They're just things that, you know, for me, I don't know. It just, you know, emotionally, subjectively, very, very subjectively, um, it, it took away enough from the experience to where I just didn't stay engaged. Other games, Hyrule Warriors, or and totally different games, but other games like Hyrule Warriors or, or Monster Hunter or you know, whatever, uh, you know, got me in and kept me engaged. This one just didn't do it for me. Click for a ton of people. I just, I just wasn't of them, one of them. And, and it was a lot of those small nitpicky things that just kind of, for me, just kind of added up. And I put, I put at least a dozen hours in each run through. It just, for me, it just didn't, it just didn't click and stick. But I don't take away from, you know, the fact that if anybody's like, hey, do you, you know, if I was doing a review on it, there's no way I could give it, you know, uh, anything but a really good score because it, it clearly is, uh, you know, an, ach- an artistic, you know, game achievement. No, no doubt about it. What did, what, did, what did we give to, give it on our site again? I, wait a I think I some think... person around here knows. Yes, I'm being facetious, obviously. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, full, full disclosure: my favorite Zelda game in the entire series is Twilight Princess, and I know that that game rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, and I don't blame them because you know there are problems with that game. And th- this game is kind of in the same boat, though. Yeah, a lot of the little things can rub people the wrong way. But I think as a sum of its parts, it is an amazing game. And I didn't even talk about how disappointed I was with the ending where I finished it. And I was like, wow, well, this game was definitely about the journey, not the destination. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. But I think, um, I don't know, I think that was always going to be the case. Like, I don't, Oh, yeah. I don't think there's any proper, I don't think there's any satisfying way to cap up the story of that game. Because kind of the whole point is... Yeah, you can kill Ganon, but you know the world is kind of already in shambles. So this is yeah, Zelda's Ganon have. is coming back eventually. Yeah, <laughs> I'll say like I had definitely had issues with some of the nitpick things, but I mean like I, I'm definitely glad with the the route they took this game. 
It, it was just such a different way to different thing to do with Zelda after so many years of being safe and comfortable. This one felt like different and interesting. And even if not everything worked for me, you know, like I, I'm glad that they were taking a different tack with it. Yeah, I think to to Mr. App's point, they had to do something. I mean, the yeah. the, the almost annual releases um, were almost as getting bad as Samurai Warriors yeah. or Dynasty yeah, Warriors, unless... and it really needed a shake up to to yeah. move forward into the next uh, gen. And Skyward Sword, one of my favorite Zelda games of all time. But you look at the reaction to that game, and you know, obviously, they needed to do something to kind of bring back people back in. And, you know, thinking about it, man, Nintendo really put their asses on the line with not only the Wii U failing, but launching a new system with a new playstyle with their flagship series that is unlike anything else they have ever done before. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that was some risky stuff that they tried to do with that. And the fact that it succeeded just it makes me all the happier for them. Yeah. Nintendo kind of operates in its own realm in the video game sphere. I can't think of any other big publisher that would do such a thing. No, and, and, and I I hope they can continue to do that because I think it's it's why they're successful. I, I'm okay with that. I, I like that they try new things. It I, It's annoying when it doesn't always work, but you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think, Phil, you're talking about nearly annual Zelda's just because you're th- counting all the re-releases and remasters. Yeah. yeah strictly, I mean, strictly new as, Zelda games aren't that common. As as I get older, it, you know, you're right. But as I get older, time goes faster. They, they, they feel annual to me, even though, you know, technically, right, they're not. Uh, and I am combining in my head, yeah, I bought a new Zelda for my 3DS. Oh, yeah, I bought a new one for my Wii. Oh, yeah, I bought one for the Wii U. So for me, it's it's all Zelda, you know. But mm-hmm. um, now the nice thing is they they were kind of – I don't have a calendar of Zelda games, but in thinking it through, it almost felt like they were kind of alternating between, you know, here's like the Wii One – here's a Wii One that's a 3D – you know, third person type of action adventure. And then you get one on the 3DS that's like a 2D, you know, like Phantom, you know, whatever, Phantom Train or whatever. And then you get uh, Link Between World. You know, like they were alternate. It wasn't like the same formula, like Madden over and over again. Um, hey, they're repeating that cycle again because we're getting that Link, not Link to the Past, Link's Awakening remake. Yep. Which I can't wait for. Oh, yeah, that looks so cool. Yeah. I love that. Speaking of games that grabbed me, um, that's one of the precious few games of that handheld generation that I just went right through. You know, even though I'm not really a fan of that art style, I mean, it, it kind of looks like you're playing with wooden blocks in that art style to mm-hmm. me, but I still can't wait to play it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that'd be pretty cool. Um, uh, okay. Well, we've talked a lot about it. There's, uh, most, most of y'all nowadays will want to go out and grab, if you don't have it already, uh, you'll want to go out and grab that, you know, for the switch. And now I'm thinking about. I'm, I'm sure it's not really on the sale type of thing, right? Uh, they usually hold their value on the Switch no. games for well, but we'll just look it up just to be just to be thorough. Here you hear a little typing as my keyboard is super loud. And ooh, well you can get it with the expansion pass bundle for eighty bucks. So I'm sure the base game is sixty. For whatever reason, the base you base might be able to get it for cheaper for Wii U. Yeah, there you go. If you got a Wii U, knock yourself out on that one. You can also get Monster Hunter 3 on the Wii U, in case you didn't know. So you should go pick that up while you're at it. You can See? and should. <laughs> so, I, ended up getting, just, I ended up getting a Wii U version because the GameCube version of Twilight Princess became a collector's item. So, pro tip. 
pro tip. And the GameCube version also didn't have everything flopped over so that all of the right-handed people weren't discomfited. That was weird. <laughs> well, to be fair, the better version of that game is on the Wii U anyway, but <laughs> s- still, they they didn't print very many copies. That, was, that wasn't an option version. in 2006. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, cool. Well, uh, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back with a little CRPG club. This is a CRPG club. Usually I talk about a game from a list that I made up at the beginning of the year, which I have just totally thrown out the window the last couple of months. I've just been really busy, really stressed, and have just – I've not been able to bring – I will be – so this is like confession moment, right? So I'm supposed to be playing The Witcher, the original Witcher, and, and I got through the first chapter. You know, pretty much enjoyed it. At the same time, I've been listening to the books. I am nearly done with the next to last book. I have listened to, I don't know, it feels like four dozen hours of Witcher books. Uh, and, 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 and the books are what's sapping the fun out. <laughs> I just, I am done. I am so done. I'm like, I got one more book left and I just need to do it. And now I've kind of rationalized if I just listen. I have like a, a couple of long trips I do every week that run over an hour in my car and uh, each way. So I figure, you know what, if I just do one day a week, that's two hours of the last book, which is 18 hours long, um, <laughs> maybe I can get through this and I could say I've, I've, I've read or listened to the entire Witcher book series. Um, but the books, oh my gosh, they're called Witcher, but and the first couple of books are like collections of short, short stories, which do more or less uh, revolve around Geralt. But then the la- the last five books, they're they're more of telling this bigger tale about what's going on with the world and how his his adopted daughter Siri is a huge part of this whole thing and 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 it's from everyone else's perspective but his I swear uh in every Witcher book uh if the book is is let's say you know 12 hours I'm lucky if I get 3 to 4 hours of Geralt and then it's every it's the kings it's the it's the villains it's the Siri it's it's everybody and they're all split up right they're not in the same room together so it's it's just and their stories to me aren't just as interesting or it's a lot of politics stuff and i'm not keeping up because there's too many names and too many moving pieces i i thought i was reading the witcher not game of thrones ripoff so just (laughs) i'm i'm sorry that's a tangent uh so what did i play when i really didn't want to deal with witcher anymore uh i played a game that played tetris i played tetris uh no i played more more uh musao games and just killed the crap i did play some more hyrule warriors just a couple days ago it's it's 
very relaxing. No, Which we can't talk about now, or else you'll be derailed for forty-five minutes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, exactly. No, I I've been playing a game that while it's not normally old enough to be on the backtrack, it's very it, it's it's a it's a very retro style game, and that's Tangle Deep. Uh, I guess it's more than two years old if you consider all of its uh, years in uh, what's it called pre-alpha beta, open beta, whatever. But uh, what's what's that called? Early release, pre-release, whatever. Early I don't, access. Early access. Thank you, Mike. People have been playing this for longer for a long time. I've been watching access. a bunch of Jim Sterling videos lately. I've got all these steam terms in my brain. I'm glad <laughs> you do. I can't keep up. But it came out an official release uh, about a year or so ago. And and I just I saw it. Speaking of Jim Sterling, uh, Mike and I share Mike Minky and I share. Um, uh, uh, what's the right word I'm looking here for, Mike? Uh, an appreciation. Yes, an appreciation for his hard work. So another free plug. I'm giving free plugs left and right today. Go and 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 just look him up. Very easy to find on YouTube. He does some very very well produced and well thought through videos about the gaming industry. Jim cracks me up when he did that video <laughs> about the Sekiro cheater and read that one tweet about you gain nothing. I I, I had to pause the video and just cry <laughs> laughing. I was laughing that so hard. That was funny. <laughs> well, let's see his. Lead. His latest video where he put jewels in his hat and then, well, that turned into a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. That, I laughed at that. Too funny. Too hilarious. And so it was, it was, it was, I don't remember if it was one of his, but one of the other numerous YouTubers I watch that I, I heard about Tangle Deep. And so went, uh, took a look at some gameplay, said that looks pretty interesting. I like roguelike games more or less. Uh, I never beat them. But uh, it's about the journeys we just talked about. So, <laughs> uh, and I've talked before uh, on the CRPG Club during this segment about another – oh my gosh, it's too late in the evening for me to remember names. But I'll remember it like after I stop recording. <laughs> but it was like a few shows ago I was talking about a different roguelike that I – it wasn't – you know, speaking of things that were for me, I recognize it's it's got a community. It's probably a very awesome game. But uh, Tales of Magial, that's what it was. But uh, Tangle Deep looked a little different, so I, I went ahead and grabbed it, and oh boy, uh, have I been enjoying it. So it is a roguelike. You pick a, uh, you, you make up your character. You've got – what's kind of cool is you've got like a dozen different classes to pick from. Uh, I think you start off with like eight, and then you unlock some more as you play through the game. And they're not too difficult to unlock. I've unlocked all of them within the first you know dozen hours. What's really neat is when you pick a class, it's kind of got the whole Final Fantasy Tactics job system going on. As you learn skills, you choose which skills you want to equip, and you can hop to another job whenever you want to learn those skills, including uh, you can have up to four passives at a time. Some passives don't even take a slot, so it's feasible to have more than four passives. But uh, there's also active skills on cooldowns that you'll want to be using. Uh, Most skills also take either uh, your magical energy or stamina, so those resources have to be managed as well. And of course, the most important resource is your health that you got to pay attention to. Uh, Tangle Deep has procedurally generated dungeons, as do most roguelikes. So after you've picked which class you want, and uh, you can go right into the dungeons, and um, and they're going to be a little bit different every time. Not the the kind of kind of a little criticism here is with the procedural generation. I feel like they could have done a better job of making the dungeons feel a little bit better organized and coherent just because it's procedurally generated doesn't mean it has to look like somebody threw up every time. Some dungeons can look like that, like naturally formed caves and the such, but when even the castles look like someone just barfed up the layout, yeah, that could use some work. Uh, your algorithms could use some work. But uh, that criticism aside, uh, the monsters 
start off kind you know pretty easy and they get tougher as you go along i felt like that curve was better than tales of magial and i'm playing uh basically on all the i played on all the default settings which includes when your character dies they're dead for good uh any items they had on them are gone uh, you can there is a chest back in town you can save items in the chest and your next character will have access to those items it does cost a fee however it's not free to store your items away but withdrawing is free so if your character is doing pretty well you can save little presents for his future her future generations i believe they're all it's pretty much a female you're playing but it's just really kind of cool going through unlocking new skills choosing which ones you want to buy next with the job points that you're accruing because they don't just unlock with levels you purchase them with with job points that you get from defeating enemies so choosing which ones you want to use experimenting and when you die it, it's not such a bad deal because then you just want to go and try out a different class and see if you like it better. And on my first couple of run-throughs, I had a rough go of it. Uh, but then the third class I played clicked with me really well, the Floromancer. I got really far at the Floromancer. So Floromancer, my name kind of implies Floromancer. I think that's one of the other cool things I like about this is you've got some very interesting classes. It's not just your typical paladin and rogue, though. You know, those are those are kind of in there, too. But uh, Floormancer pretty much uh, raises up flowers and plants, uh, you know, uh, creates uh, entanglement roots in the ground to slow down enemies, uh, walls of vines that you can later explode for damage, uh, and, and, and a little pet that follows you, a little plant pet that you can summon, uh, a walking vine uh, that, that can help uh, tank for you a little bit or whatnot while you try to stand behind and cast spells. But yeah, there's there's a paladin, there's a brigand, there's a hunter. Those are pretty, you know, standard. But then you got like a class like the Soul Keeper, who powers uh, her spells based on the souls of the, the the enemies that she kills, and she can resurrect them, um, you know, to bring that to help them fight by her side. So that's you know that's pretty cool. Um, I haven't got a chance to play all the classes yet because there's there's so many. But uh, here's some of the other names. Uh, there is uh, there's uh, Sword Dancer. A Badoka, which I think is kind of like a monkish type of thing. Spell Shaper, which is a wizard. Which, But what's kind of cool is that you learn skills to shape the spells. And you learn different spell elements. And you combine those together to create the spell. So you might learn fire early on. And the line spell, combine that to create a line of fire in front of you. But later on you'll learn like like a rectangle, square, whatever, a checker pattern over a wide area. You learn different shape, ways to shape the spells. And you combine this with other classes to, for some interesting effects. Uh, edge Thane, uh, Gambler, uh, you know, Wild Child Calligrapher. Uh, you know, you're going to go around and write them to death? I don't know. It has something to do with e- There's an ink mechanic. Stuff, but they, there's different classes, and they all have different mechanics. Um, and and it's, just, it's just really cool. Part of the fun is just experimenting with these with these different things. There's a number of subsystems which I could spend quite some time just talking about other subsystems that are underneath the hood. For example, you have a, a garden of trees and you can – as you find seeds, you plant the trees. You can harvest them for fruit that you can use to make – speaking of making different foods, you can use them to make foods. This one at least keeps track of the recipes, which apparently was something they added later on. <laughs> that was not in the uh, the pre-alpha build. Um so that was pretty nice that they added that in because I don't like trying to remember recipes. But um, uh, if your character dies, the trees are still there, uh, and your new character can cut down the trees for instant experience gain to help get them leveled up faster. Or you just keep harvesting them for the fruit. Up to you. You get a you 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 learn how to 
get pets on your side. So you can go like conk monsters upside the head because that's how you make them fall in love. Of course, after you get them down a low level, but you conk them on the head with the right item, a hammer, and they become your pet. And you can level up these pets. You can breed them together to make more powerful pets. They'll inherit the skills of their parents. It goes deep. It goes really deep. And the pets, uh, the pets pretty much do survive when your character dies. So one of the reasons why my Floormancer was able to get further ahead than the first two was by that time, my Ivysaur, that's what I named him. It looks like an Ivysaur to me from Pokemon. He had leveled up to like level nine or 10, which is pretty high up in this game. So he was kicking a lot of butt. So uh, just a lot, a lot of subsystems. I definitely have been spending some time reading some wikis just to try to figure some of the stuff out. There, there is a lot of hints in the game and tips and the such, uh, help files, whatever you want to call them. But of course, you know, the juicy, juicy if you want to dive into the numbers and the details, you'll be able to find on the Tangle Deep, Tangle Deep wiki. But it, and on on top of that, it, it does have a 16-bit style, but it's very colorful, very attractive. I like the UI look, the look of the UI. Manipulating the UI is a different story. I, I tend to favor a controller, and I get a little button confusion sometimes. Since it's a turn-based uh, roguelike where you take a turn, the monsters take a turn, you know, at the same time. Since it's one of those deals, controls aren't too big of an issue as long as you don't accidentally move and, you know, cost yourself a bunch of actions because you accidentally move towards enemies. Uh, I've done that a few times in the first hour or so before I, I got used to the way of, to move diagonally. Uh, you can move diagonally by just moving the stick diagonally, but if you mess up, next thing you know, you walk to the wrong place and you've taken unnecessary hits. So... Uh, there you can use the shoulder button to force a diagonal move so you don't accidentally move straight. But um, uh, yeah, but I like the way that the skills and the, the life bar and the energy bars, the monster names, everything's very bright and colorful. As you get further on in the game, you'll need to pay more and more attention to elemental resistances and weaknesses, uh, both for yourself and on the enemies. And you'll, you'll, the, the game will slowly force you to diversify or you're, you know, or you're just simply going to have a hard time getting ahead. If you think you're going to just go around and burn everything with fire, uh, you're just going to run into monsters that that have that as a as an invulnerability, or or they're very highly resistant to it. So you're going to need to make sure to have different weapons and different uh, spells and and everything else to help get you around. But it, it's 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 a, it's a, it's a ton it's a ton of fun. Oh, and one of the really really cool things about this. Um, is you, you can play the game the way you want. If you really, I hear some people say, Phil, that sounds really awesome. I just hate roguelikes because just like Kelly said earlier, I'm very busy and I just feel like I lose so much progress when I die in these games. Uh, even though you say I get to keep my stuff and my pets and all that, I'm still losing the experience on my character. I just feel like, and then I have to go through the dungeons again. I feel like I'm taking steps back. I get it. I get it. But Tangle Deep gives you the options of, you can play in the easier mode. Where your death only resets your level or takes away some XP or something like that. It, but but it, it stings a, a heck of a lot less. You can also play if you know if you if the normal's too easy and being able to keep your items and get you can save it. You can set it up to where when you die, there's nothing in town. There's nothing that's carried over. And then there's a whole bunch of little toggles in between that you can turn it on and off. For example, in com- after combat, your character doesn't heal up. Now, you know, like in some roguelikes. Uh, you, you automatically heal up. In Tangle Deep, you only heal, I think, if you got certain food buffs, um, which food is a big part of this game, especially for healing. But um, uh, you can you can put the game on an easier, like there's a little toggle, heal between battles or something like that. So, or naturally, stamina. I think stamina and energy. 
But there's all kinds of different options you can turn on and off to make the game just incrementally harder or easier for you. So the, that's a cool thing. You can experience Tangle Deep the way you want to experience Tangle Deep. Um, I, I appreciate it when games let you completely customize the difficulty like that so that, like, well, um, that one war song i think comes to mind that i've heard about where you can really mess with the difficulty in different ways like different enemy health options and stuff like that and i wish more games would kind of embrace that wait war song i know it, it came out recently it was uh okay, kind of yeah, an advance but... advance wars the game you're playing mike the one that you're that from the war switch group? war group yeah war group I'm okay sorry. I don't know where I got... I, I was looking at something a while ago, and I got it confused. War group. Yeah, war song, you cannot adjust enemy difficulty. I know this for a fact. Okay, yeah. No, I got it... Well, to be fair, there's two There's two names that are very similar. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah being a, Yeah, I, I can see that. Being able to tailor that, or like Bravely Second, where you could have it very easy, but you oh, could yeah. have the encounters through the roof, or very difficult, but you then you could turn the encounters off. I love stuff like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's exactly Bravely Default. Yeah, that was super cool, and you could do it on the fly. So if you were just kind of getting bored and you just want to push through or whatever, uh, you know, I thought I thought all that was pretty cool. Uh, I I do kind of wish sometimes in those games where they do have those options, there was some sort of like. I don't know what I, like some sort of trade off. Like I felt like with Dreadly Default, it'd been cool if if when I put it on harder, I got bonus XP. So somehow maybe I leveled faster. But I I did the math and I didn't seem like I was earning XP any faster. Um, like per per encounter, even though the fights were taking me a lot longer. So in effect, I was actually earning XP slower for putting it on harder. Um, here with Tangle Deep, there's no in game reward or penalty. It's just your your bragging rights or your knowledge that you beat it this way, the way it was originally intended or not. And that's up to you. But certainly there's definitely, you know, some, some things in the game that can be a little frustrating. Um, and the, But those options are there. So if you find them too frustrating, you don't have to walk away from the game. You can just turn that off. Boy, I would love that if that option was in Breath of the Wild. Would you like weapons to only break half as much? Yes, please. Um, but, 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 Phil, if, you, if you play it that way, you've cheated not only the game, but yourself. Ah, uh, this is true. And this is true. You didn't grow. I didn't you grow. Didn't improve. I didn't get good. <laughs> you experienced a hollow victory. Oh, that is too funny. That's too true. Uh, so there, I, I just, I, I will tell you, I've, I've gotten, I've not been entangled deep yet, but I've gotten further, uh, much further in it than I did in Tales of Montreal. And uh, I'm just enjoying my run-throughs of the game. And, and definitely I'm up to a high level now with my my Flora Mancer, who's gone into, I think, out the elemental arts. Uh, no, Soul of Soul Mancy, because I've been collecting souls. And, um, or did she die? Now I don't remember. It's been a couple of weeks since I played. I need to go back to it. Because I, I got sidetracked by an RPG, uh, uh, an RP gamer project that I need to actually do the write-up for this week. But... Yeah, I, I, I just, I want to go back and play it. For me, that's the telltale sign of a good game. Do I think about going back, man, I want to do some more in that game? Or do I say to myself, man, I don't want to climb up another mountain just to have the rain start and make me fall off again? <laughs> Not just pulling that example, just a pure example. Um, totally random. So, okay, I, I'm with you on that one. If I could turn that option off, I don't care if it was a hollow victory. I'd still want... I'd still want to be able to climb even in the rain. I'd be okay with that. I'd be okay. I'd, I'd sleep at night. 
I uh. I think that would be like the that was like one one of the annoyances that really got to me was not being able to climb in rain. But I I digress, and yeah. I I hope people realize I'm not actually giving you crap because I don't care what difficulty people play on. Yeah, yeah, I, it's just it's just that that debate that's going on. I don't know why that's a debate. Why are people upset that other and Jim Sterling did a video on it. Go check it out. But why are gamers? Why are certain gamers upset that they're that? You know, they make games with these options that let them enjoy, you know, those games. Because I tell you, I like kind of like like the Dark Soul games, but after my experience with one or two of them and just playing a few and seeing just how deadly they are, I, I, I like the atmosphere. I love the graphics. I, I like the combat system. But, you know, the fact that it's so deadly and you guys put so much time into getting good to enjoy it, I'm turned. I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not going to play them. I think part of it might be that there was a time when they were like, I'm all for options. Give me harder options. Give me options. And just what I would suggest to developers, not that they ever listen to me or my podcast or our podcast, but I would suggest that, that they, they just make it to where people who play on hard mode get a special reward, whether it's an achievement that people can brag about on the achievement screen, a platinum trophy or a glowing piece of armor. Like in Horizon Zero Dawn, if you play through on the super hard mode that they added in later on, you get a cool different color um, uh, thing that goes in her ear, the little machine thingy that creates all the holograms. It's something small, different, and, but it, you know, someone says, "Wow, how come yours is red and mine's always been blue the whole game?" You'd be like, "Yeah, because I beat this shiz on super hard mode." So, hmm. but anyways, uh, Tangle Deep, uh, just just a really fun. If you, I think, I think honestly, I, I almost want to say it's a beginner. It's a good beginner roguelike just because the difficulty doesn't whap you upside the head as soon as you get in. But there's a little too, there's a few too many subsystems for somebody who's completely roguelike to really get into it or get too far into it you know you got to be willing to jump into those subsystems and and squeeze some juice out of them or you'll get about maybe half a dozen levels or so before it starts really kicking in the teeth uh because you didn't exploit those things so maybe chocobo's dungeon i hear that's a good <laughs> that's come that's come out that's a thing on the switch maybe start off with that one and then come to tangle deep after that if you've never been in a roguelikes before the turn-based um, roguelikes is now roguelikes means just anything. I'm talking about turn-based RPG roguelikes. Um, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon is a darn mm. good baby's first roguelike, just because it, yeah, um, the, there's a lot of options and stuff that you can have. Well, not like in-game options like he was talking about, but they're very the difficulty is very tailored to younger players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a, that's actually uh, an easy one to kind of jump into without getting too frustrated because that's not and, too difficult. And they're very fun to play. Mm-hmm. So there you go. You can get Tangle Deep on uh, the Switch. You can get on Steam. You can get on GOG. Uh, I don't know if it's on the other platforms, but I saw it on all three of those myself. It's usually uh, 15 bucks retail. There's an expansion if you like it a lot. I would hold off on the expansion until you play it and see if you like it. But if, if you do... It's easy to recommend uh, Legend of Shara. That's another $8. It's a full expansion you know, to the game. Gives you a whole different story with unique bosses. And it also adds that calligrapher class. I guess that wasn't in the base game that I just mentioned. Um, whoa. Increases level cap from 15 to... There's a, there's a level cap in this game? Really? Of level only level 15? Huh. Now I gotta pull up my character. I'm pretty sure. Oh, no wonder I wait. I was thinking, man, these levels come slow later on. Now I know why. I think I'm like level 12 or something. 13. Oh, I didn't realize that the the cap was so low, but it goes up to twenty with the uh, with the expansion. So uh, and yeah, it's pretty interesting. But anywho, check it out. Let me know if you do go play Dingle Deep, you like it or you don't like it. 
feel free to give me a holler. And Twitter, we'll talk about all the credentials at the end. I have actually checked my RP Gamer email again now that I've got that working without tons of spam. I'm super excited. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we're going to take a tiny break and we'll wrap this up uh, when we return with the final lap. The final lap where we read your comments and everything else and do a round table and kitchen sink. Anywho, uh, we're in the, the couple of comments we had for our last episode, number 203. Yo, Kai, watch this. Uh, there's this uh, this drugged up guy named Wheels who says, play Yo-Kai Watch, do it, do it. This sounds like... <laughs> This sounds like someone that knows what they're talking about. We should listen to him. Way to peer pressure. <laughs> peer pressure. Soccer uh, Angel says, I never play Yokai Watch. Just watch the anime, so I can't comment on it. But I do play Zero Dawn. Down? Zero Dawn. <laughs> and yeah, it's good. Slot of controversy surrounding having a female protagonist and was in everyone's mouth when it was... Uh, I guess English, not the first language here. But I don't care. I I just uh, I just like what I one, play. I, I just want what I play. Yeah. Zero Dawn? Yeah, yeah. Was there controversy about a female protagonist and I missed that? I don't really care. That's one of the yeah one of the best games of the last few years. I, I swear, if you're if you really are still hung up about whether or not you you know the character you're playing is a female or male yeah, character well, in 2019, you need to come out of your cave, take take you know get come uh, to put down your club. Okay, stop dragging your your wife by the hair and join us in the 21st century. Uh, anyways, he says, I can understand why the I new... I have a feeling a lot of the people who would say such things do not have wives. Oh, this, yeah. is, this is probably a fair, yeah, fair point. <laughs> mm. uh, I can understand why the new guy doesn't like HD and Weber 3. Uh, cause oh, a... Hyperdimension Neptunia Weber 3. Yeah, stupid new guy. What's his problem? Not like in HD and three. Uh, it's, a... it's the Neptunia game. What's not to What's like? What's not to like? Right? <laughs> Two uh, is good. Items in the dungeons can be found yeah. by jumping and hitting blocks, a la Mario Brothers. We'll see. There you go. That's that's an instant win right there. Uh, so action releases made by the same team responsible for Sega and Kagura. Uh, not wonder. Uh, whatever. So naughty to said. Good episode, guys. Uh, Sega Kagura, I played. Okay, for, now I've just gone from saying we should catch up to 24th century talking good about a game that totally has tons of boobs everywhere. But I, I will say, like, that's one of those guilty pleasures where I was like, what the hell are you playing? I'm like, I do it for the combat. I do it for the combat. <laughs> um, it's really about the combat. 
I really do. It, it is like a it is like a Hyrule Warrior style. See, now it's no longer a Musou style game or Samurai Warrior. It's now Hyrule Warrior style game. Uh, but the, the the combos are just a little bit deeper. The combat's a little more satisfying. But there's there's no strategic, uh, you know, objective. It's not like a big huge map. It's all arena based. But anywho, there we go. There's your comments. They are everywhere. Yokai are everywhere. I can't get that darn song out of my head. Uh, boy. I just, I just can't. Yokai Watch Three is coming, coming. Uh, is that out? Is that was that? Yeah, no, it's out. It's out. So um, I, I need. I didn't listen to the episode because I didn't want spoilers, and I plan on playing Yokai Watch mm-hmm. at some point. Which game should I try? Three. Three. Three is the best yep. one. Yep. Okay, and it's there is no story or anything I need to worry about. As long as you understand the basic idea, you'll be fine. Okay. Is the like, is. Like what yokai are, yeah, it's yeah. Part of the story is even oh, we accidentally uh, threw away your yokai collection <laughs> between games. So okay, that's all I needed. Yeah, well, I mean, if if you're a little worried about that, two is also very good. But I would jump on three because if you want a physical copy, it's just going to jack up in price. Oh yeah, the more good you wait, point. yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, thank y'all for your comments. You know, you can head over to rpgamer.com. You can leave your comments. If you're one of those people who's catching... It's possible that we will get a few more comments on this one because we are talking about uh, some series that apparently tends to get more attention on the internet than Yokai Watch, uh, especially of late. I This is nothing to denigrate Yokai Watch. It's just that... This, this Nintendo. All I'm hearing is series. overt yokai watch bashing. Ah, well, <laughs> I, apparently your ears are suffering from a serious malady there, Mr. Apps. I suggest you go to a doctor, right, an audiologist right now and get that checked. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, well, I mean, Mr. Miki's right. History tends to bear out that whenever we talk about a series that's a little bit more popular, we tend to get a corresponding number of comments anywho uh but if you're gonna if you're listening to our back episodes as a friendly reminder you always want to leave your comments on the latest episode those are the ones we read so even if you're listening to episode 100 leave your comments on 203 and just say hey i'm listening to 100 and i like this and we'll be happy to read that you can also hit me up at twitter at jc servant mr minkies at jume sin and you can also so you can also shoot off your comments to us there on twitter we're happy to talk about that as well uh, or, or you can write me an email, jcservant at rpgamer.com, because that's a thing again. I know, it's just, it comes and it goes, but I don't even know if people still use email uh, outside of, like, paying their bills. So I, I do. Do you? Cool. I, I think it's a lot. It's kind of like writing letters by hand. It's become, like, a lost art with people. I've been told it's like, no, you don't, you're not supposed to write an email. You're supposed to text them. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Anywho, uh, let's do a roundtable. You can. Uh, I... Emails tend to be a little more considered when written, and actual letters tended to be more considered than emails. So, I also, why do texts have to cost so much extra? It, really, that is not a lot of information for your cell phone to be shifting around. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, let's do the round table. What are you guys playing? Are you doing anything on the website you want to share? Let us start with I don't know who said they need to go to bed quickest. <laughs> um, probably me. All right, go me. Um, well, I I'm raising a new Pokemon, aka a new kitten. <laughs> gotta catch them all. Oh, gotta catch all the cats at least. No, I um. So the last time or 
what's happened between now and the last time we talked because one of my cats unfortunately passed away just kind of suddenly which which was very sad i was devastated for about a couple of weeks and then was looking at the humane society website and saw that they had a litter of kittens and just went over there you know thinking i was just gonna look and then this little tuxedo kitten just kind of literally crawled into my arms and crawled into my heart so we brought her home and she has been the cutest little baby and also a handful because she's the type of kitten that has to play with and attack everything i am genuinely surprised that the podcast hasn't been plagued with uh the sound of jingling bell all night because that's how much she plays she, i mean she plays until she passes out and yeah, it's been fun having a kitten around the house and seeing all kinds of trouble that the kitten can can get into. Um, I uh, posted a picture on my Twitter yes, just yesterday that apparently the kitten has been hoarding toys underneath the stove for the past two weeks. Reached under there and uh, pulled out all kinds of toys and it's like, wow, buddy, you you had a little stash there. So there's been that. And as far as gaming has been concerned, um, I've been playing Zanke Zero, if you guys have heard of that one. Can't say I have. Um, it is a first-person dungeon crawler on the PlayStation 4 that is about um, eight people on a desert island, and they're the last people on Earth, and they're cloned. And they only live 13 days. And they're trying to find parts to a machine so that they can hopefully live longer than 13 days and repopulate the world. And oh boy, has this game been kind of dark because each each clone or each person who's also a clone um, has a dungeon that's kind of themed around them. That's also themed around one of the seven deadly sins. And it it goes into their past, and whatever their sin is, is kind of what their past is. So it's had, like, kind of a lot of very dark themes. Like, I mean, you can imagine what lust was about, um, greed and gluttony and sloth and all that. And it it's like one of those games that's very dark and... Fun, funnily enough, gave me kind of Danganronpa vibes, and I didn't realize that Spike Chunsoft, who made this game, also made Danganronpa, and I didn't realize that until I saw a Danganronpa poster in the game, which is like, oh, okay, that explains a whole lot. But yeah, it, it's been a fun game, though a, a little bit frustrating, and you're talking about the difficulty slider, because you can change the difficulty at will, but... Like, the higher the difficulty, the better your items drop get, item drops get, and that's kind of part of the survival aspect of the game. Because you have to keep your, uh, your people fed, and you have to be, be able to, you know, craft armor and equipment for them and all that. And unless you have the character, unless you have the difficulty high, so you're going to be farming some of those items for what seems like hours. And that's been kind of annoying to me because inventory space has been just a nightmare. And trying to farm up the items to, you know, build a bigger warehouse for all of my items has been kind of a chore. But yet, when I drop it down to the easier difficulty where the monsters don't necessarily hit me as hard, then they don't have the rare item drops. And it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, I wish that you could be like, okay, have good loot and make the monsters easier to kill. That variable 
customizable difficulty thing. <laughs> um, it's, it's been a really good game thus, thus far. That it's just except for that one aspect of the difficulty balance, and um, yeah. <laughs> Just kind of t- talking because you know, I, obviously, I'm. I think uh, like me and Alex are like the only two people on the site that's played this game thus far, and I can't even remember what um what score he gave it. I know that he he uh he said that he thought that the easiest difficulty made the game completely trivial. So these crickets tell me that you guys have. No interest in this game. I've heard of it. That's about it. Yeah. <laughs> I I can say nothing about it, unfortunately. I, I try not to speak on things about which I know nothing. It just makes me look like a moron. Oh, and Alex gave it a three, point, uh, 3 out of 5, so not too bad. He didn't hate it, but he didn't love it either. Just uh, kind of there. With that one, it'll probably fade into his memory pretty fast. Alex reviews a lot of stuff. Yeah, I I wanted... Well, the premise I really was interested in because one of my favorite TV shows back in the day was Lost. And the premise kind of gave me a Lost vibe to it, especially with the um, survivors on an island and kind of diving into their past. And I, I wrote about this in the um, What You Play In feature, which unfortunately Josh ducked out so he can't speak speak to all of it too much. But this is what I wrote about. And yeah, it, it's an interesting game. I would probably wait for a price drop, though, if you're interested. But it, it's definitely an, an obscure game. I can't imagine a lot of people are going to be playing it. And yeah, other other than raising my new little Pokemon, that's really all I've been doing. Meow. She has a silent meow. She does that thing where she like opens her mouth like she's meowing, but none of none, nothing comes out. It's very cute. You are reminding me of a book called The Silent Meow, which was supposedly written by a cat. I don't <laughs> quite buy that, but it told of such wonderful things as how to get your family members to give you food at the table. You you must always go up to the man at the table, who will usually have laid down some rules. Nobody feeds the cat at the table. You must attack the man directly. Don't don't go after anyone else, or you'll just instigate a family argument. Make sure the man gives you something and says, "Oh well, the the cat was just looking so hungry." And then you'll never hear any more foolishness about not getting scraps from the table. See, I'm the one that put my foot down about giving Alice people food because <laughs> our other cat girl, young girl cat Nami, is like obsessed with food and can get very vicious when you try to tell her no. So I'm like, you are not starting that crap with Nam- or with Alice, because she's a very sweet cat, and I don't want to have to fight her over food. Though I imagine that he's probably snuck her some tr- some ham or something before, but interestingly enough, Alice doesn't really give a crap about cat treats, which is surprising. What about catnip? Or do you give that? Um, She's too young for catnip right now. Usually they don't get into... Usually they don't get into catnip until they're about six months old, and she's only like three months old. So yeah, then then she'll probably be using all of her time either running around and driving you crazy or sleeping. Yeah, no, she she's starting to go into the drive me crazy phase of kittenhood. Mm. Well, kittens are fun. Oh yeah, I I wish that they could stay that teeny forever. Alrighty, well, how about Mister Apps? Um, other than doing Q&A Quest, I have not been up to that much lately. It's been a tough couple of weeks, so I've been just playing 
lots of hero shooters, Overwatch and Paladins and some Yokai Watch. And, and it's uh, been a tough couple of weeks because you just could not wait for Avengers Endgame, right? That's the entire reason. No, that was the one bright spot in uh, some difficult weeks. But um, did you I, see Shazam? I did, have not. Is it I good? did. It's good. Shazam is fun. It's good. very fun. Um, I did it's, pick up. It's definitely the best DC movie in the last couple of years. Not that that's saying much. No, it's um, not a high bar, but it's good. The, the best DC movie without eye candy. I'm looking at you, Aquaman. Mm-hmm. Aquaman had good parts. Oh, yeah. also had bad parts. Uh, I only went to Aquaman for one reason, and that was Jason Momoa. <laughs> and you got lots of Jason Momoa. Yes. Shazam is honestly the fact that it references big at one point. It feels kind of earned. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty funny because after all, it's kind of the same concept. You're oh yeah, you're, you're a young teenager suddenly zapped into an adult body. What are you gonna do? You're gonna act like a teenager would. Uh, buy, try to buy beer, realize beer tastes disgusting. And... I was looking forward to him trying to drive. They didn't do that. Ah, uh, which you know most teenage males would do. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a lot of fun, and the the climax was creative, and it actually involved outthinking the enemy instead of just punching him to death. Nice. All right, I'm gonna have to go go see it for sure. Uh, I I did pick up Dragon's Dogma for the Switch, which is a completely solid port, and I never really played the original too much, so it's been fun to kind of check that out. Uh, but yeah, that's about it RPG wise of late. Um, Oh, and I guess you can see on the latest What You're Playing, uh, I've also been playing a decent amount of Hearthstone because they just had their yearly standard rotation. So things are fresh and new and less degenerative, thanks to some terrible cards finally getting removed from standard. So there's that. That's good. Yes. How about you, Mr. Minky? Well, right as we began recording tonight, I incorporated the proofs and finally uploaded my Exist Archive review. And I want everybody to actually look in there right now because I included specifically, after all of the pain in the butt it was to get these stupid pictures off of my Vita, I figured that I had to include them, at least some of them in this review. So please just look in there. I just had it up too, but I changed it to look at Alex Zanke Zero. Now, the the first picture that I included was nothing technical related. It's just a, a kind of advisory that I've never seen from any other game before. Notice of naughtiness. The following scene dips into lowbrow comedy and can be skipped without affecting the story. Hmm. But why would you? <laughs> yes, that... I've never seen a game give me that kind of an advisory before. Are you looking, Phil? Can't say I am. All right. Well, it it really helps to visualize what I'm talking about with regard to the glitches in this game, so it would help. Here. You're looking, right, Mr. Abs? Uh, No. No, Why would you? Wow, those are some ugly graphs. Yeah. Well, let's see. The second one. Please notice that my cursor is on something that is invisible. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Then look for the third one, where you see the characters with their eyeballs and their weapons and nothing else. Yeah, nothing else. That's that's pretty invisible. 
And then your fourth picture, which shows the character currently in the lead talking to a character who would be standing on that crystal. You can just make out the eyeballs of the character that you're controlling if you look closely, but nothing of the character who would be standing on that crystal. Mm. And then the very bottom picture, that is the final boss. I understand why you would have no surprise whatsoever, because it clearly looks like a final boss, does it not? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, you could totally see it. That That's one of the most intimidating designs I've ever seen before. <laughs> and because I couldn't find any, although I didn't look that hard, but still... People described having these glitches on the Vita version, and I decided that I had to document a few of them so that now everyone knows. Sadly, the Vita version of Exist Archive is prone to things like this, <laughs> which you can conveniently get rid of just by resetting the game. <laughs> hmm. Which is really fun if you're in a dungeon because you can't save in the middle of dungeons. <laughs> Doesn't that sound great? That sounds like super fun. That sounds lovely. Now, of course, the final boss being invisible did not stop me from beating it, which I'm, I'm sure there's some philosophical meaning to that if I look really hard, but I don't want to right now. So I, I, I clearly played the game and got into it enough to finish it, and a lot of it consists of going through the same environments over again because... This has a very strange mission structure where you can't completely explore a place the first time through. You have to go back in a later optional mission. And that's that's really not my preferred design. So this is an interesting game that I don't want to talk too much about right now because, uh, well, I just threw up a review of the thing. But perhaps someday when we go through lesser-known Tri-Ace games, this will come up. Because... Valkyrie Profile, Star Ocean, Radiata Stories. I think we've covered the big tri stuff on the backtrack. Mm-hmm. Anyway, aside from Exist Archive, which definitely needed to be documented in the way that I have documented it, I was also playing A Link Between Worlds, which is why I was positively breathing with things to talk about. And here's something that we didn't mention, Kelly. The fact that when you turn into a painting, the music suddenly sounds as if you're hearing it from a distance. Oh, yes. I, I liked how that, that happened and how the music got all backwardsy when you went through the portal as a painting. Yeah, it was a neat audio effect. And honestly, while you're a painting, the music is different enough that it probably qualifies as a whole new track. Mm-hmm. I also realized I just screwed up. I screwed up because uh, I was calling the laser robots in Breath of the Wild Ancients. They're supposed to be called Guardians. Mr. Apps, how could you not have caught that? That's my bad. <laughs> my bad. I'm I'm very disappointed. Your I, authority I on have, Breath of the Wild. I also have the amiibo of that very thing. So yeah, I, I do too. So I don't know why I was messing it up. Yeah. I think it's because the army you get to fight those is called the Ancient Armor. Yes, the Guardians work for the Ancient Armor. Yeah, I was confusing it with that. Anyway, I, I am not done with Wargroove yet. I didn't get much further except to remind myself that I apparently need some practice on Advanced Wars types combat because I managed to get my butt kicked in a mission, which of course means that I can turn the difficulty down. It just feels a Do little... Do it. Do it. Just turn it down, man. It's okay. We won't think anything less of you, man. It's okay. You enjoy you. I know. It, 
it just feels weird to me to do that because well, I'm, I'm used to older games where I wasn't able to do that and I would just have to, oh, I used an hour and I lost. Now I got to know what's coming. Because, of course, it was on a map with Fog of War, everyone's favorite. Oh, I can't stand those games of Fog of War. I swear. It's so evil. I, I always cheat it off. I, if, I, if it's ever an option, I always turn it off. Fog of War sounds like a weird sequel to God of War. Uh, it used to drive me crazy in Fire Emblem games. Oh my gosh. As gay, especially in those games where like your very important units that stay dead forever, you know, just walk into one space, the wrong space, you can't tell because you can't see anything, and then suddenly this guy who has your exact weakness comes out and crits you. Bye, you're dead. StarCraft 3, or no, StarCraft, just original StarCraft. So uh, I, I got it confused with Warcraft 3 for some reason. <laughs> Just wrong. Oh, not a fan of... And you never can so, tell if the AI is playing by the same rules or really just has that sight, you know? Uh-huh. It's kind of like Thundercats. Give me sight beyond sight. That's, that's, well, that... in Wargroove, the AI definitely focuses above all on taking over your towns to deprive you of cash flow. And if it can't do that, then it will generally attack. And, well, especially if it is coming out of Fog of War, then it will probably have a bit of an advantage. <laughs> Can you tell, like, if it's making decisions that it shouldn't be able to make if your units were covered by Fog of War? I couldn't tell. It wasn't anything that blatant. But, of course, it does have a few units that are set up on the map by default, and then it starts getting a factory going to pump out fresh units. And unless I can keep one of mine in view to see what it's doing, then I I can't tell. Yeah. So, yeah, I may just... I think it's time to turn down the difficulty because I need to review this thing and being blocked in this battle doesn't help. Now I will say uh, one of the things I did appreciate about, you know, Starcraft three was that they worked very hard uh, to make the AI kind of dumb. Like if it didn't scout you doing something, then it wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily create the counter units to your army. But if it scouted you, if you let it scout you, Little little Protoss little guy comes zipping through your base. You're like, oh, mother fudge sickles, it sees my buildings. Um, yeah, actually, I haven't been playing anything else lately. Except I noticed, I was distracted by working today, that the most important entertainment thing possible could have been released today. The oh, Sonic the Hedgehog Jesus. trailer is out, people! Woo! Why are you going to do this to me, man? Woo-hoo! You know you always thought Gangsta's Paradise went with Sonic the Hedgehog, right? Right? Mm. You know, first off, somebody wasted no time at all doing the um, cartoon theme and ed- editing that in. But, you know, I was and I was bitching about this to my husband today. It's like, you would think that a character that's known for going fast would want a faster song in his trailer. Like, you know, a speed metal song. Like... If if I had the inclination, but I don't want to. Something Ramones that would work. I don't want to give it even more attention than it deserves. But if I had the inclination, I would edit in like some Motley Crue or something, just because that's the kind. I mean, that's the kind of sound that Sonic soundtracks have. That's who Crush Forty sounds like. Just throw in some kind of butt rock for the love of God. Why you gotta call it butt rock? I hate that word. (laughs) I'm sorry. That's okay. I like. You could pick a Ramones song. The Ramones tended to play really, really fast. That works. I want to be sedated. Even kind of thematically works. But no, no. Let's let's have the Coolio 
remake of a Stevie Wonder song play instead. Let's do that. Uh, and also, so, yeah. my, hus- my husband being the Weird Al fan genuinely thought that it was going to bust into Amish paradise. That would have given it credibility with me, but of course it didn't because that would have required probably more thought than the Paramount executives wanted to give it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, that design. That design that? is so bad. Who will prove that? I want to know. I need names. <laughs> uh, I don't have any right now, but I'm sure we will have an ample list of credits to credit. Yes, Let, let's credit them for these brilliant decisions made on behalf of Sonic the Hedgehog, a character that the general public has no idea or conception of that involves any look that might work better it's like if if you, if you go on to r slash gaming you can see like all kinds of images right now of people that have like improved on the design just by doing little tweaks to the face and stuff to get him out of the uncanny valley and it makes you wonder like okay if a teenager can do this in his basement like do you guys not hire designers that know about things like aesthetics I'm going to guess that this was created at the behest of the focus groups that are so often called in, and they are usually reliant upon teenage males who probably they might have heard of Sonic and said, "Oh, it's that it's that Sega Hedgehog character. I don't care. Make him look make him look more like a Macy's balloon." I don't know. That is probably oh. an actual focus group comment at some point. I'm uh, probably going to get dragged to the, I mean, I don't want to say dragged. I'm probably going to go with my nephew to this movie because he really likes Sonic the Hedgehog. And I'm I'm curious about it. I'm hoping that it is like the Mario Brothers movie, which while, yeah, it's not really true to to the source material. I like that movie for what it is, which is just kind of a cheesy roller coaster ride. And for all intents and purposes, that movie is just just kind of fun to watch. And I'm hoping that that movie is that the Sonic movie is going to be like this. I'm not going to hold my breath. <laughs> the Mario Brothers movie, at least, is interesting. Just from all of the creative visions that were thrown into a blender and did not match up very well. No, but it's still a decent watch. It's not going to win any Oscars or anything, but it's kind of a fun ride and. Uh, Bob Hoskins is my favorite version of Mario. I've always kind of heard him with a more classic Brooklyn accent in my in my voice, and not necessarily the Charles Martinet. I saw the Mario Brothers movie when it came out on VHS, and I remember not really getting into it, just thinking it was kind of weird. And then I didn't watch it again until Rift Tracks did it. What twenty four years later? And oh, I didn't know there was a Rift Tracks. There is. It's not a good movie, but also it doesn't deserve the hate it's gotten. No, it it really doesn't. You want a bad video game movie that does deserve the hate? Well, we can come up with some others. Uh, um, Pixels. Double which I avoided, I avoided Pixels. Because I know Adam Sandler's level of commitment to anything in the last, what, 20 years is zero. <laughs> Um, I, my parents or my mom and sister rented Pixels and I was like, okay, well, I'll just turn my brain off and watch it. And I I like Peter Dinklage and just how much, how much it got wrong about video games, like arcade Pac-Man having cheat codes that just, it made my brain fry. What? (laughs) Yeah. Isn't there a part near the end where 
a woman is created out of a video game character from the early 80s and she just falls in love with the hero on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> because I, she's I, a literal trophy, right? Yeah. I, I had to explain to my mom and sister why arca- arcade games in the 80s would have never have had cheat codes. The whole point of arcade games was to get as many quarters out of people as possible. Cheat codes defeat that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, I'm not going to hold my breath. I'm hoping for a fun, fun movie. I'm, I'm especially hoping for at least a fun, over-the-top performance from... Uh, Jim Carrey. Yeah, Jim Carrey, and in the same vein of, like, Raul Julia and the Street Fighter movie. Say what you will about the Street Fighter movie, but Raul Julia was having fun. Oh, yeah. You, you could tell he was having fun. Oh, that was good. And considering that he was dead not long after the movie was done, that more power to him. Mm-hmm. Poor guy. Well, how about Mortal Kombat Annihilation? There's there's a bad video game movie. I, don't, I never saw him after the first one. And, and remember, the first Mortal Kombat movie is not exactly a wonderful work that will change your life. <laughs> yes, it is. You shut your mouth, sir. I will the not. Finest piece of cinema ever created. Are, if you were to limit that statement to on a certain day in 1995, then I might agree with you. <laughs> if you broaden it a bit more, I will have to wonder what you're smoking. No, it was a fun movie, though. Yeah, no, it's not going to win any awards for anything. By the standards of 90s video game movies, it's pretty good. And that's the thing with this movie is that it looks like like 1999 CGI. I'm the Sonic movie. I mean, it comes out in November. Maybe someone made the terrible, terrible decision to put this trailer out with incomplete visual information. I guess. Well, you know, seeing Avengers Endgame and seeing how realistic like Rocket and yeah, Rocket looks compared to or this. Hulk? Yeah, or Hulk. I mean, you can, yeah, even you can tell he's got—he's not really there, but yeah, he's enough. I mean, he had a little bit of Uncanny Valley going, but it wasn't bad. Not not bad like this for Sonic. I mean, Garfield in the live-action Garfield looks better than Sonic in this, and that's saying a lot. Uh, I would have to go back and watch the Garfield movie again to be sure, but I remember him sticking out because he was the only CG thing in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why the hell would you not make Odie CG? Gee, I think we're getting derailed. Yeah, a little bit, but I'm a huge Sonic fan, and there's a lot of pain in that design. I will forgive a lot if Jim Carrey is hilarious in this movie, which is looking quite possible, so... That's that's what I'm hanging my hat on for this movie. <laughs> that it's basically uh, the Dr. Robotnik movie. <laughs> well, Jim Carrey Unleashed is pretty damn hard to compete against. Mm-hmm. Also, relevant picture in Discord is relevant. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 that's bad. Uh, yeah, he he doesn't look at all like an ugly plush toy that you would get at a carnival and then throw in the closet forever. He looks like a knockoff plush toy. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess we could say that Avengers Endgame is worth seeing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Short answer. But, you know, if we start talking about it right now, we will probably be pilloried. So, let's Yeah. Hold. 
I, I can say that there was a very specific reference about Thor to um, the Big Lebowski, and I really want to do fan art of that reference. I can say that it makes even more sense to have seen earlier Marvel movies, given how much this one references them. Yeah, this one uh, pretty much ties the entire MCU together. It, it, it was funny because my I was at my mom's house Sunday to watch Game of Thrones, and they had um, the first Guardians of the Galaxy on the TV. And I'm just sitting there, like, biting my finger because, like, oh, God, I want to talk about Endgame so bad <laughs> and then what it did to this movie on TV right now, but I know they haven't seen it, and they'll ban me from the house. And they can't ban me from the house during Game of Thrones season. <laughs> so you must hold your tongue. Yes. I, I have been forced to hold my tongue at work or else I will be pilloried. There are people who haven't seen it, even though it's their own fault. They could have seen it this weekend if they really wanted to. <laughs> I saw it Thursday night in IMAX. I don't I'm have an IMAX theater near me. I'm so sorry. I'm thankful that I work from home so that I don't have to deal with people that see those types of movies very often so one nice advantage of not seeing your co-workers every day i guess yeah i mean i like my co-workers it's just if i tried to talk about it i would probably have things thrown at me <laughs> <laughs> anyway it's very good very good i love love that phil it's probably time to bring us to a close for the night is phil still awake well, I don't know. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what that blue thing is in the lower left t- right-hand corner. It's I mean, better not to ask. It, it well, just, you recognize the one on the left of the yeah, blue thing, Yeah, right? I recognize the left thing, but the right one, it, it's, it's strangely reminiscent of a car accident. You know you shouldn't <laughs> stare, but you can't help it. It's just there's something really creepy and uh, uh, just not right. It's just not right. So... So I've been uh, aside from aside from playing a, a bit of Tangle Deep uh, and um, another game that I'll, I'll wait for to do the write up on that one and, and I'll save it for another future CRPD elite. But uh, a couple of little things I've been farting around with is uh, Mario, uh, the Puzzles and Dragons Z plus Super Mario Brothers Edition. I I don't know where this was in my life. I liked I liked uh, Puzzle Quest to an extent. I didn't beat it, but I, I spent a lot of hours in it. And uh, how in the hell I let Puzzles and Dragons Z plus Super Mario Brothers Edition go under my radar is is just a mystery for all time. Because now that I got my hands on it, I can't stop playing it. It's incredible because it's just got this one little mechanical difference in swapping. Like in Puzzle Quest, you swap two gems like Bejeweled. And if you make rows of three or columns of three, whatever have you, then things start falling into place and you're powering up your attacks, uh, you know, to, to, to attack the other guy, your spells or whatever. And that was kind of a cool, you know, concept at the time. The uh, Puzzles and Dragon Z plus Super Mario Brothers Edition, aside from having a really darn long name. Um, what, what With this one, you've got seven seconds and you can take that gym anywhere on the board in seven seconds. You can slide around. And of course, as it's moving around, it's displacing every gym along the way. So if you plan out exactly what you're going to do in that seven seconds, because the timer doesn't start until you move a gym. If you plan out what you're going to do, then and you want to use the stylus for this. This is one of the few games where the stylus, you actually want a stylus for this because you, you're going to be zipping these things out real, real quick. A control scheme wouldn't do it here. Um 
But if you really plan it out, you can make some really big combos. And as you match up colored gems, there are six members of your team that you can bring with you, and they're each color coded. And so if you, you know, you got a fire Mario, you got fire Mario, for example, and you match up the red gems, it fires them up for an attack. The green gems will fire up Luigi, etc., etc. Uh, there's healing gems that will help heal you, which you need a lot of because boy, um, and 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 that that one difference just makes it a whole new game. And and it's a lot more. It, it's a lot. It's more exciting. It makes you think a little bit more about you know what you're what you're what you're going to do. A puzzle quest made you think a turn or two ahead because the enemy would take turns with you uh, against you to match up gems to power up his attack. So you didn't want to leave him a big opening. But here the enemies they don't match up gems at all. The board is completely yours. What it is 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 they got a timer above their head based on how many turns you take. Once it hits zero, they get to attack you. But, um, and some of them later on hit really hard. So you really got to think through and make really big combos and take them out before they take you out. It's, it's a blast. You know, there is a Magic the Gathering puzzle quest game on the I, the uh, Android store that I've been kind of addicted to that I wonder if you would like. And it's, it's basically like actual Magic the Gathering cards, but instead of having lands, you match gems to summon stuff. A friend, a friend mentioned that. I mean, I generally, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm about to make a hypocrite out of myself. Uh, but I generally turn my nose up at free to play games. I'm always afraid of those freaking micro. Like I'm afraid of getting addicted to a game and then finding out there's this big, huge pay gate. Oh but, yeah, and it's magic, so there's a pay gate. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, if it's a little pay gate, like it wouldn't bother me so much if it was like ten, twenty, even forty bucks for a game I really like and I put for. But you know, the way these things work is forty bucks doesn't mean diddly squat later on. Like, I used to play Clash of Clans, and boy, 40 bucks don't mean shiz, you know, at Town Hall 9. I mean, I'm, uh, full disclosure, I, I spent 30 bucks to get a couple of really good Planeswalkers. Uh-huh. Um, I haven't bought any booster packs because you get, like, two or three different booster packs a day, and then if you participate in, like, tournament uh, events and stuff, you can get booster packs very easily. But the big money, money sink is the really good Planeswalkers can be very expensive and getting the premium currency in that game is definitely a slog so that that's my one warning for that but i've been really enjoying that game well i'll tell you that's one of the reasons i got this was because uh actually what it was is i so i was i was uh someone had told me about uh puzzles and dragons on the phone first and I started playing that first, and that's free to play. And I'm like, man, this is really, uh, you know, this is really kind of cool and addicting the way they do these puzzle mechanics. Uh, and that's when I was like, I think I've seen something like this before. <laughs> and I did some quick Googling. And it's like, oh, yeah, Puzzle Dragon, Super Mario Brothers Edition, whatever. I, I remember seeing uh-huh. this on some review, and I don't know why I passed it up. But, man, now that I'm addicted to a cell phone game, but I want to put 40 bucks into it. And what's interesting is, like, you're playing the cell phone version – and you could just see it's got the energy mechanic that you got to pay to speed up. And it's really super, super easy at first. But you know it's going to get, like, harder over time until, you know, until you want to spend money to speed it up. And it's it's all that stuff that I, I can see this coming a mile away because I played, so, you know, a number of free-to-play games. Um, but then you get, the, you get the 3DS game and it's like, holy cow, it just takes you right into it, right? Because there's no pay gate. You just pay your 30, 40 mm-hmm. bucks for the whole game. And... You st- it, it does start off kind of easy, but it immediately gets you to the harder part. Like, it's not going to hold your hand. Uh, there is some grinding. I feel like there's some grinding. Either that or I just need to get good. Uh, yeah, but I, I feel like there's definitely some grinding still in it. But 
but nothing like a cell phone game. There's definitely no energy mechanic to slow you down either. So uh, yeah, I could definitely recommend like download the cell phone game for free first, right? It doesn't cost mm-hmm. anything to, to download Puzzles and Dragons. And if you find yourself liking the the game mechanic, uh, the game mechanics, consider picking up a copy of Puzzles and Dragons Z. I think I found it on Amazon for around twenty five thirty bucks, and, and it, it goes on sale on the sheet. It goes on sale in the eShop all the time. Oh. Oh, great. Now I've wasted money. Should have waited for a sale. Yeah. Good going. Uh, now I'm going to make a hypocrite out of myself because I'll say... Kelly, to- you just made Phil feel bad. I know. It doesn't take much. <laughs> well, I'm going to make myself feel bad because I'm about to make myself a hypocrite. I just got through saying and not a huge fan of free-to-play cell phone games, but I have gone back to playing... Uh, I might have accidentally left the, the mic off uh, on for a few seconds when I had it on, but I, I, <laughs> you might have heard in the background, I've been, I've been playing Clash Royale again. They did a big update, and my friends were talking about it, so I had played it for a while, then got off it, now I'm back in it again, and it's a really fun update. Um, you know, too bad Mike's left, because, generally speaking, one thing, Mike and Mike and I have some things in common, Mike Apps and I have some things in common, there's some things we absolutely do not have in common. I do not share his passion for PvP games at all. He likes to play that. He was talking about those heroic shooters and stuff like that. I'm just not a competitive person. But uh, Clash Royale is probably one of the very, very few competitive games uh, that I play. Like, I'll play StarCraft and stuff. I'm always playing against the computer. I'll play co-op. I love StarCraft 2's co-op mode, by the way. If you guys have not gotten into StarCraft 2 in, like, five years, go back and play. Try the co-op mode. Pick a friend. You know, send me a text, whatever, on, on Twitter. I'll be happy to run through the missions with you. Um, but it has a really fun co-op where it's you with you two against the computer. But it's specific scenarios designed to be balanced for two players is really fun. But anywho, Cl- Clash Royale is just a be. If you haven't heard of Clash Royale, you can check it out. Play your cards. I, I will say I, I've, I'm on a mostly a free to play account. I have bought. Speaking of spending some money on these things, I have maybe spent twenty five or fifty bucks when someone gave me a gift card for my birthday on this. Um, and I use it when they have like the the the, the gems and the gold on sale. A little tip, you know, with Clash Royale, you get cards that unlock warriors that you can play against other people, and they call them cards, but if you get multiple cards, you're leveling, you, you start leveling them up, and uh, once you get to nine, you're at what's called the, 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 the champion standard, because all the champion games are done at level nine. So one of the cool things is getting to nine, getting to champion standard, that just takes a few months of farting around in the lower ladders and just getting used to the game. And by the time you start figuring things out, you're you're pretty close to nine. It doesn't really require a big infusion of money to get. It probably doesn't require anybody to get to nine. You're just patient enough, um, and and then you're you're just fine. So um, you want to get to ten. I think it goes up to thirteen. Well, that's that's just so you can be higher up on the quote unquote ladder. There's a few more rewards up there, but it's nothing worth breaking your bank account over. It's it's something I don't worry about. My character, my most of my guys are nine, ten, and eleven. I don't really care if they ever make it to third. It's not a big deal. And if you like Clash Royale and you're looking for a clan to call home, feel free to shoot me off a message or an email. I'll be happy to send you the details so you can join the group that we have called the Adult Marauders. Uh, my brother and several friends uh, run the guild together, so it, we get along pretty well. And we are actually very active, got like 40 members. So, And we war all the time. We like to war. So come and check it out if you would like. But uh, a little bit more on the RPG side, one more plug I'll do before we head off into the sunset is a little game called Grim Dawn. Any of y'all played that one? Mm-mm. Oh my gosh, the, 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 the wife here cannot stop playing it. She plays it for hours at a time. So, so Grim Dawn, action RPG, in the vein of Diablo, 
And if you read the reviews on it, uh, you know, it's got a um, kajillion percent on Steam. I know on GOG it's like 4.6, 4.7. Um, you'll see people going, this is what Diablo 3 should have been. Of course, they say the same thing about Path of Exile. But, um, you know, for me, Path of Exile... So Path of Exile is a really great free-to-play game. It's, it's free-to-play done right. I said it before on this podcast. If you want something that feels like it should have been the true sequel to Diablo 2... And and you don't mind something a lot deeper because it's got you know just freaking talent trees that are huge and stuff. Um, go check out uh, Path of Exile, and they've now got on PlayStation Four, so there's there's a free plug right there. But Grim Dawn is is like for some people like me, Path of Exile is too much. They've been building on Path of Exile. Like imagine if Diablo Three was done right to begin with, and they kept making it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger over time. That's what Path of Exile is, and now it's so big that's very intimidating for somebody new like me to get into. I mean, you have to read a lot of online stuff to get into that game, um, and it's it's online, and, and so there's a lot of there's always kind of like people running around the hub city, and to get the most of that game, you gotta do a lot of trading with other players and stuff, which I'm not a big fan of in my Diablo type of games. I just I I, I just want to be running going with one friend. I just want to go by myself. Um, yeah, I might go with my wife or something, but that's you know our best friend or something like that. But I'm I'm not into all that trading and all that jazz. I'm glad when I took that out of Diablo. Well, Grim Dawn is kind of like that middle ground. If you're looking for something more than Diablo three, because you know they did good with it once they fixed it, but they only got so far with it. So if you're looking for something like the next step up without going all Path of Exile crazy with a bigger fi- focus on the single player experience, then you want to check out Grim Dawn. Um, it is it is a it is a really really good solid action RPG experience that wife just can't get enough of. And you know I mentioned I mentioned on Tangle Deep how you could combine classes. Well, guess what Grim Dawn lets you do, right? You can you start off picking one class, but at a certain level, you pick another class, and then you get to divide up your points uh, between those classes, which skills you want to go with. So that's it's it's a pretty neat thing. And you're not going to get punished like the original Diablo or Path of Exile for picking the wrong thing. I think that's another reason why I won't get into Path of Exile, is because if you go down a certain tree and you don't like it, well, tough beanie weenies. There's a couple of them. You can get these books that let you take away the last couple of choices you made, but you can't redo them from scratch. You can't reclaim all your skill points. That's one of the things I like about Diablo 3. But um, because, like like uh, we were talking about earlier, our time is limited. I don't have time to keep playing these games over and over again until I find, figure out the right build. And dang, Nebit, I don't want to go online and read a wiki. I want to I I experiment and see what feels good to me, dang, Nebit. So, uh, again, that's one of the things that are kind of cool about Diablo 3. I put a lot of hours on Diablo 3, and that's why. Uh, but, yeah, this one will let you reclaim your skill points. No problem. Well, so you can no, try different I, things. I know you're going to put even more hours into Diablo Immortal, right? Yeah, yeah, because that was the right move. Boy, that, that just went over people big time. That was, that was one of their shining moments. But anywho, uh, I, I I promised I promised uh, the wife I would uh, would spend some time into Grim Dawn myself, second so for my own opinion. But I can tell you, she doesn't take a liking to games you know too easily. Uh, whereas I'm a, I call myself polygamous because I'll play I'm all over the board and I rarely finish a game, but uh, I'll play a whole bunch of games you know halfway through. She'll she'll sit there and focus on one game, but it has to be good. Uh, and so yeah, totally totally a, a good one. So if I put some time into it, which I think I will. We'll probably make it a CRPG segment where I'll go in juicy detail about its its different mechanics and stuff. But early plug, go check it out, and if you like it, maybe we'll do a run together. Let me know if you're jumping into it. Uh, you there is a GOG version, there's a Steam version. A little heads up if you are huge into multiplayer. Apparently, those two versions don't talk to each other. <laughs> I mean, as versions, I, I should say this is the same game, but they don't they don't cross play. So keep that in mind where you buy it from. Because normally I say buy it on GOG. Alrighty, well I think that is going to be the show. 
Um, just remind y'all, if you have any questions or comments, shoot us off uh, at Twitter, uh, at JC Servant, or at you may send. I'll remind you, of course, that RPG Backtrack is a production of RPGamer.com, your source for news, reviews, and home to the best gaming community on the net. You can go and check out all of our content, RPGamer.com. We are, we are hiring out the wazoo, so you're going to start seeing a lot more content. Uh, but there's plenty on there for you to go and see right now, um, such as the aforementioned Exist Archive review. You really want to read it and see those screenshots for yourself. You know you want. Yeah, you just the know game, you do. The game itself isn't terrible, but geez, it's really hard to overlook that stuff. Yeah, yeah. You want? You just want to go and you just want to. You just want to check that out for yourself. Um, and uh, and whatnot. Uh, so yeah, go check it out over there. Oh. One more thing, I got I got a couple of, of trips uh, coming up at some point here in the next few months, and I'm going to spend some time on an airplane. I got a 3DS and a Switch. I got a Vita, but I'll be honest, I haven't been playing a whole lot of that lately. But if I'm taking my 3DS or, v- or Switch, what recommendations do you guys have for me to play on the way? Feel free to hit me up on Twitter or leave me your, your thoughts. Maybe I can talk about it on the show. Mr. Miki, would you like to put us to bed? Well, we just talked about a couple of Zelda games where you're pretty much free to do anything you want. So I'm going to predict that the next major Zelda game, Link's Awakening is a remake, so that doesn't quite count, will be, it will be like an adventure game where you can do everything in a rigid order and you must do it in that order and you have specific puzzle solutions and if you don't do them, then the game will drop you into a pit and skin you alive. My prediction probably not proved accurate, but that's what you get when you ask me to predict things late at night. Good night.